0: Welcome to Evidence Based Aesthetics, and now your
1: hosts, Kristen and Dr. Larry Group. My 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 Corona! My my my, my, my Corona! Hi, campers. Welcome to Evidence Based Aesthetics, Day Four of Quarantine Club at Camp Coronavirus. Woo woo! I'm Dr. Larry Group, and I'm here with my lovely wife, Chris Group, and we are going to rock it. Today is Super Math Nerd Day, so if you were ever a mathlete like I was, we're going to work out today. Woo!
0: Okay. And if you weren't, like I wasn't,
1: you're going to suffer. Gonna,
0: you're going to just be a little confused. Be torture. It will be torture. I hated math. And-
1: it's good for you. Math is your friend. Okay, okay. Math is your friend. It might sound strange. It might sound funny, but statistics are what I do for money. Hit it. <laughs> okay moving right along. Thank you. Why are we doing this? Because we're stuck here in isolation for days upon days.
0: No land in sight.
1: water world, never mind. Anyway, (laughs) uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to use evidence-based resources to discuss all things coronavirus. We're going to cough a lot. Um, I'm on an incredible amount of coughs at present right now, so I can do this uh, lovely podcast. So I'm doing pretty well so far. We're going to try to entertain ourselves for it says 14 days, but That's this is day nuts. four. So 10, Ten more days, dias. And hopefully edutain you. Uh, debunk myths, bad advice, and weird science. science. We're do a lot of that today, especially. We're going to talk about aesthetics for all of you stuck at home not seeing patients. I personally am going to whine and complain about silly policies that don't match up with peer-reviewed research. I'm also going to whine and complain about death rates that don't mass- match up with research. And how do you even calculate death rates and things like that of that nature? And I just wish I had some wine. Well, you're getting Corona I know, beer. I know. I know. That's what we're going to do. I, I we're be switching a lot of Corona. I may be beer. switching to wine. We're drink a I lot. just
0: say it. I'm just going to switch to wine. At least
1: one per episode. How about them apples? Uh, okay. It's rough. Uh, we are going to shamelessly promote our scary stamp home device with coronavirus coupon savings with a large portion of proceeds going to provide PPE to local az you down You're with PPE. P-P-E. Yes, you know yes, with P-P-E. PPE. There you go. Uh, we're also probably going to talk a little bit about, about, I'm on the board of directors for New Leash on Life Animal Charity. We need to talk about how does the COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2 affect animals, our furry little friends who need homes. Our best friends. Chris has donated hundreds, literally hundreds of thousands of dollars to the rescue. So we have a vested interest, even though we don't wear vests, to make sure that we take care of our furry friends during these times of crises. Yes. Um, So we're going to talk about that. Okay, here's what we're not going to do. We are not going to pretend we are experts on anything except Corona beer. We are not going to engage in political talk. I am going to attempt not to do impersonations, but it just—it it comes over me.
0: He can't help himself. cool it, it,
1: calling me. I'm sorry. <laughs> so yeah, uh, we're going to try to skip over the politics because we know that uh, SARS-CoV-2 will infect you whether you are Republican, Democrat, or social conservative, liberal, whatever I am.
0: Rich, poor, I'm neither of
1: those things. I'm none of those things. Yeah. <sighs> I'm pretty much (laughs) apolitical, so there's that. Uh, We are not going to offer unsubstantiated opinions without clearly pointing out it is our non-expert opinion. Okay? I get to use my uh, one year of uh, certificate in public health, which cost me over $42,000.
0: Good for you. (laughs) What a dollar would cost average. Money well
1: spent. Uh, We are going to get this quarantine started in here. So, here we go. As promised, we are going to talk about all things of how lethal is SARS-CoV-2. Okay, first thing I'm going to do to make up my point is I'm going to look at what the media is putting out there. And then I'm going to talk about what science is putting out there as far as government agencies, whether that's really good science or bad science. And then we're going to talk about things like prevalence, incidents, how you report those things. And then finally, we're going to talk about different examples and different ways that you could report how serious this disease is, okay, relative to other diseases and relative just to the decisions we're making. Why is this important, Chris? Why should we know how X amount of people can die from this disease in this age range? If you get the symptoms, you, it takes this long to get them, and it could take you this long to die if you have them. Why, does that, why do we need to know this information in context of, of making public policies, like how long we shut down stuff, things like that?
0: Well, because we've got two things going on. One, we have a pandemic, but two, we also have an economy that's crashing. So we have to really have a handle on what the numbers are um, so we can make good policy decisions as opposed to policy decisions that are just made off of news media or nothing that's based in science.
1: My problem is we do use some science when we look at government decisions, but that science that they're using is based on information that really is a snapshot in the past a couple of weeks ago. We've probably missed our containment window, okay? We're into the mitigation window. If we knew that we were doing that, that containment was no longer something that we could really do much about, we would change policies. We would shift to making sure our hospital workers and our hospitals remain open and that these folks have the PPE they need. I get that I winded complained yesterday and got some feedback from that on, well, this is a policy decision that should have been made a long time ago. I would say that you're correct, that this policy probably should have been figured out. And bl- looking, playing the blame game now is not the issue. But if someone would have played the blame game back when SARS-1 was around and said, look, this is a mistake we made, we could have done a better job, and then followed through that policy for the next pandemic... We would not be in this situation so i say fine if everybody needs to get out of jail free card regardless of political party i'm good with that what i'm not good with is is letting this happen again how many times do we have to not stockpile ppe for an a, an eventual pandemic it's not that expensive to do you could rotate that stock inside and out and we could do things like when we see cases popping up Stop ignoring those cases for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, and then all of a sudden have a radical shift in policy after it's almost too late, or in this case, in my opinion, is Larry Group's opinion, that we are past the containment stage. Why, are we, why do I think we're past the containment stage? Because can you get testing? No. And of the people we're testing, are you testing in a random sample of the population? Are you randomly taking a hundred people so that you can get a, an actual true sampling of of the prevalence and or incidence? And we'll no. talk about those. No, you're basically waiting for sick people who theoretically were had exposure to China, some kind of China visitor, or were. they're they're still even talking about that as part of their protocol, that if you had somehow visited China, what about all the cases that are here now and that are infecting others? They aren't, those folks caught it probably from someone who went to China, but then passed it on how many times now? We're not testing for that. We're going to talk about the testing numbers again today, we do like we do every day. And we're going to get a sense of, is this representative of the total population? Because if it isn't, we're making huge decisions, trillion dollar decisions. I'll say it again because you're coughing. Trillion dollar decisions over data that's based on 0.01% of the population. Does that seem like a problem to you? Yeah. Let's just say, for example, and again, this uh, this is Larry's rant and rave section of this. Got lime in there. You got a lime? Yeah. yeah. I do a lime all the time. Here's the thing, sourpuss. The issue is, is that if we... Look at other diseases that are currently out there now. Just the normal influenza, things like that. The rate of incidence and the prevalence and the death rate is still much higher. Now, we're talking about things like rate of infection transmissibility versus how serious it is. We're going to give measures of seriousness. One of the studies I'm going to talk about is basically going to come down and say SARS-1, COBE-1, was more serious That means the the range of symptoms had more people who had serious symptoms, but less transmissible. So it was harder to catch, but if you do catch this one, it's not as serious. And we're going to show that through the numbers. Epidemiology isn't like a wild social science that we sort of like phrenology. We measure bumps on people's heads and things like that. This is grounded in statistics and good scientific method, okay? So we do have the ability to predict some of these things. Now when in a pandemic is going on during the course of the pandemic many cases it's difficult to get a sense of are we underreported or underestimated because our sampling is the issue it's always coming down to how representative is the sample of the testing that we're doing representative of the general population if you just test the people who came off the, the cruise ship where we know that they got exposed and we only test people that came that had visited China are we going to get an artificially inflated or artificially deflated number of people who have yeah which one
0: well inflated it, or deflated well if you're only testing the people that went to China you're going to have an artificially inflated
1: is that when we do randomization if I flip a coin right how many what's the chances of me getting 50, heads or 50. tails 50 50 right now, that doesn't necessarily say that 50 50 is the probability of getting this disease. We're not saying that. But we're basically saying that instead of flipping the coin, we're basically taking the coin and most of the time setting it on heads or using a two headed coin, right? We're using people, we're taking samples of testing from people we already suspect have the disease under the scientific method, but we're supposed to be like the the randomization, whereas you don't know, the, the person doing the experiment doesn't know if this if the subject does or does not have the condition, that's called blinding. But randomization is talking about having a representative sample where each person in the group, let's say it's 100 people you sample, have an equal chance of either having it or not having it. Okay. Now, when we're doing containment strategy, does it make sense for us to rec- to identify who has the disease and use limited resources, such as testing, on those who we suspect to have the disease. If you're yeah, in Yes. Of course that does. But when we're actually then trying to take that data and use it to to make policy decisions like social distancing, should we shut down a school? Should we use the military to enforce people in their homes? Tonight, I believe Michigan is making an order at saying... At midnight, people have to stay in their homes. Three home. weeks. Good or bad, I don't know that. based, But they're basing it on data that's coming from the CDC and the WHO that is representative of how many people in this country? Representative of all the people in the country? Representative of a very, very small fraction? I'm not giving you whether or not it's good or bad to do this, this sort of autocratic containment where people can't, can't come out of the house. That usually is actually a function of mitigation. But the point is, is we're very focused on a testing as if we could somehow contain when we could possibly be taking those same resources that were. Remember we had that that Rose Garden press conference where we got all the leaders of CVS and Walgreens and Walmart and all all the cool kids showed up. And that's great. I do think private business coming to the rescue of the public is fantastic. There's nothing wrong with that. But the point is they're all about how many tests can we get done. That is a goal. But when, we're, when we shift to a mitigation strategy because we just don't have enough tests, which hopefully we've proven so far that we've had one statement from the president saying, anybody who, want, anybody who wants a test can get a test. Myself. I couldn't help myself. And then you actually have other government officials saying, not anybody who wants a test can get a test. They came out right and said that exact, the exact opposite statement of that. Which obviously, it's the latter
0: is true because testing show up.
1: Some of the test kits that did show up didn't have all the necessary pieces to do the test, and the millions of test kits that were coming never haven't, haven't been there yet. I'm not saying that that's anybody's fault. How we inherited a broken system. Okay, maybe that's true, but the the point is is that possibly that we should consider that making PPE gear something that we should have pushed weeks ago would have been. At, at least an equally good goal, an equally important goal. Because if we know we can't contain it, the next thing to happen is what? We're going to have to prepare the healthcare system to have waves of people. Something that China did fairly well, if we look at the data, is they constructed two hospitals in record time. Yeah. Are we constructing any hospitals right now? I don't know the answer to this. It's I don't a question. Know the it's a question. I have no idea. Are we making? Are we forcing businesses to stop making uh, iPhones and? I don't know. Just pick any commodity and make masks. I don't know. We do. We have the power to do that. Does the president have the power to under under the 1950s law yes. to say you business over there make some masks? Okay. Yes. Couldn't you take a paper company and say you're not making copy paper right now, and now you're making masks?
0: You could. I mean, 3M already said that they're going to shift from making most of it. right now. They make eighty-five percent. Uh, the masks they make our industrial and they are going to switch over to medical.
1: How long is that going to take? Did you read that article? Um,
0: it's supposed to be about a week.
1: A week. Did How long have we known about the fact that we're going to probably need these masks? Did we look at China in January? No, a couple of January, weeks. No, couple weeks. Well, did, that we, we really knew, knew we were going to be out. But January, in January, we knew it was China ran out of them. Yeah. So w- did we not think that we're not going to be in the same boat? Especially in the same manufacture, the majority. Right. So that that's the thing that doesn't make sense to me. Is this a week? It, it, it's not like... We can't look at this and predict it. Looking at countries who got it first, look at Italy. Do they have enough masks? No. Do they have enough healthcare workers? No. Okay. It's, what, it's following what was some along. of the we're problem? If attention. we look at some of the case reports that have come out, we see that healthcare workers were initially not wearing PPE when they were introduced and/or were screening for people who came off coming back from vacation from places like China into Italy. Then they were exposed. Then a bunch of them got furloughed because they were they were. Um, exposed and then many of them became sick okay then I don't know how many of them died some of them died so that's a big deal all I'm saying is is that when we're looking at this data this data should guide our decision making on what's a priority in this country combat it now what's our priority on getting the economy back and then what's our priority to make sure this doesn't happen again you buy car insurance right Some people buy car insurance because the law says you have to have car insurance, right? Some people buy car insurance because if they get in an accident, they know it's far more expensive to Mm -hmm. pay for the accident than it is to have car insurance. We're about to sign into law at some point here at least a $1 trillion bailout of certain businesses that are, we don't know which businesses those are, and also to help Americans, and also to fund lots of different things like provide loans, provide relief to workers, things like that, right? I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm not into the politics if I can't read the bill. What I can't say is a $1 trillion expense versus had we known we're going to not be able to get containment done. I don't blame people for not having the COVID-19 test. How would you know what strain is coming at you? But you could know that you need PPE regardless of what's coming well, at you. Who
0: also had tests done a long time ago?
1: Well, okay, South Korea were the ones that ramped up. And I will, in, in defense of the United States, I would say that South Korea is a much smaller country. But... They started sooner than we did, and that's the issue. They started sooner. They looked at the threat and said, based on the threat, they're reading the same pieces of research that we are from China. We just basically say, it's Chinese. I'm not going to look at that. Why not? The blame game, it's it's China's fault. It's a Chinese virus. Does it matter where the virus came from? It doesn't matter anymore because it's here. The only time it matters is if we look at the spread of it. So... Trump likes to take credit for the fact that he shut down people coming in from China. I do give him credit for that. That was a wise move. But that there can you not if you make one wise move, then it means that's enough wise moves. You don't have to make any more. Policy should have been there already. It's if we look at WHO and CDC policy after H1N1 back in 2009 and 2013 again, we looked at those things. We already had a policy in place that says, let's not do this again. Let's make sure we have enough PPE. Let's make sure that we have that the Office of Infection. I can't remember that office. I'll look it up for tomorrow, guys. There's an office that we had up and running that we cut the budget to to the point and disbanded the office. That was done by the Trump administration, whether anybody likes to admit that or not. We're just looking at facts. Should it have been disbanded? Based on today, I would say absolutely not. You might have thought you were saving a couple, maybe what? Let's say they're saving $100 million. I guarantee it wasn't that much. Now we're going to spend $1 trillion. Now, could preserving that office have saved us from having to do stimulus? No. There was going to be some financial, economic impact, regardless of what was done. The point was, though, we could have lessened it. We also could have saved lives. I don't know. Sometimes when I look at the numbers, I'm a scientist, nerd kind of guy, I look at... Well, the death rate of only you know a hundred thousand people is not that bad. Wait a minute, hundred thousand people—that could be any of my relatives, or anybody and I care about. Because
0: if so in your family, it actually is a high death rate. It's not in the big scheme of things, but I mean, if you look at the opioid crisis, it's not called a pandemic. Yeah, but more, people more people are dying people are from, dying from dying the opioid crisis. From that,
1: but yet we don't look at those types of things. Okay, and again, I don't want to cross over issues. The point of the matter is, these are real human beings dying that week. That if there was a way to prevent these deaths. Why wouldn't we do that? If we're talking about healthcare workers, we can prove right now, does anyone doubt, does anyone in my audience or any audience in the United States or in the world doubt that if healthcare workers had the appropriate PPE, there'd be less healthcare workers workers getting getting sick?
0: sick. Absolutely. So why are we debating this? Why are we putting bananas on and make them look like freaking robbers? Exactly.
1: What needs to happen is we should have learned from the pandemics of SARS-1, mers H1N1, that we need to stockpile these because we're going to use PPE regardless if it's Ebola, if it's MRSA, if it's some type of flu, pneumonia, we still need PPE, right? Yeah. Why didn't we stockpile that? That's the question I have. Okay. So what we're going to do is start focusing on our topic of the day. We have one, which is how lethal is SARS-CoV-2? I am going to bring up a chart put out by Vox um this is one of many news agencies. I just picked this one randomly because it had some numbers that they have sources cited as the CDC, WHO and the NCBI. Okay. The RO number, like the RO number is a number of people who will be infected by the average individual with the disease. So I'm a person and I get the disease, whichever, we're, we're, they're comparing influenza to COVID-19, which is really starts COVID-2, right? They're basically saying, if I get it, how many people am I likely to infect that will get the disease if I'm around them? Not the number of people I come into contact with, but the number of people that I'm likely to infect. This, this gives us a sense based on those factors that we talked about. Remember we talked about spike proteins a few days ago and that how much SARS-CoV-1 versus SARS-CoV-2, the difference in transmissibility was based partially on how easily a spike protein could bind, bind to a cell. What was the number? Uh, 10. 10 to 20 times more. So this is the notion of transmissibility. This is taking those those factors and features about SARS-CoV-2 and comparing them to, in this case, N1N1 H1N1. Or in this particular, we, they didn't say which flu they're comparing it to, but I'm going to guess they're comparing it to H1N1. But the, the point doesn't matter. What we looked at the RO number is, is that the flu, under, under this RO notion, this idea that how many people am I going to infect if I'm sick, how many people will actually get sick from me, was 1.3 people. Now, that doesn't mean there's one person and then a midget. What we're saying is, is that the, in the average, I'm child. going to... Or a child. We're going to basically say that 1.3 people are affected. That gives us an idea when we compare it to a a different disease, if the number's higher or lower. If the number's lower, it's less transmissible or Mm -hmm. infectious. If the number's higher, it's more transmissible. So under SARS-CoV-2, as they're they're labeling it COVID-19, it's two to 2.5 people. So that's almost 100% more infective or twice as infective, right? Mm -hmm. 1.3 to 2 to 2.5, okay. Incubation time. How long from the time of first exposure to symptoms? With the flu, it was one to four days. With the SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19, it's one to 14 days, with the average being around five Averages have mixed a little bit. We've looked at the Chinese average and we've been, taken that average, looked at the Italy average, we looked at other countries, our average. It still tends to be around five days when the, the, when the first symptom shows up. How long do the, what is the hospitalization It's The next thing on this chart. You're going to see that if you're watching the video, see it on the chart. It says average percentage for total cases, 2% of the people who got the flu went into the hospital. 19% of the people who got COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2 went into the hospital. That's a huge difference.
0: But it's also, we're testing the people that are really sick, so it's probably going to spike.
1: Well, no, we're we're just looking at hospital admissions in this particular thing. Okay. But the problem is this, is that if they went to the hospital and for some weird reason we couldn't test them, they wouldn't be included in that number. Okay. Same with the flu. It says 2%. People went to the hospital. Did they get tested for the flu or were they just hospitalized? If they didn't get tested, we wouldn't be able to attribute that to the flu so the number could be influenced. But if we're comparing one set of circumstances to another and we don't know that, we just have to assume that when they, someone was hospitalized with a respiratory illness, that they were tested for the thing that we're worried about, right? We, can't, we don't know that, but we assume that. Uh-huh. Okay, the last piece of data was this. And again, I want us to all pay attention to this and not panic until we really get a sense of how do we actually correctly do this, okay? Case fatality rate, the CFR, this is a percentage of reported deaths among total cases. These are reported deaths. So what does that mean? They would have had to be tested somehow, even before death or after death, to prove that they were actually
0: positive. Yes.
1: Flu was was point 0.1% of the population or less. Now notice I said of the population, okay? This is actually saying total cases, okay? So 0.1% or less. We don't know if that means, is it 0.1% of all the cases tested? Or is it 0.1% of the population? Well, I can tell you, I've looked up the studies on when they did this. Rather than basing it on random sampling of just the population, this 0.1% is based on the total number of cases, not averaging it or trying to, to sample across or weighting that sample across the total population. What am I saying? I'm not taking one out of 100... I'm not taking 100 random people, whether they have the symptoms or not. I'm just... Picking 100 random people that they had the potential to get disease, right? Mm-hmm. But we don't know if they did or not. And then testing those people, that 100 people, and then saying, now of all those people, 0.1% of those people died. What I'm really saying is, of all the people I tested,
0: 0.1%
1: of them died. Is which one is, is, is higher? Which would oh. give me a higher rate of death?
0: The one that's just tested.
1: Right. So, because that, does that include the people who do not have the disease? No. It does in some ways. It, it, it includes the people that have been tested, but came back negative.
0: But it's still not a random population.
1: Right. It wasn't, but the population wasn't randomly chosen. That's a requirement to get proper prevalence and incidence. Okay. Now, let's look at, this is the box chart again we're talking about. This is, again, I picked news chart because this is the kind of stuff people are looking at and then making decisions off of it. Should I go to work? Should I obey the social distancing? Should we shut down Michigan? Should we give $1 trillion? Should we make this curfew last a month rather than two weeks? These are decisions being made based on this data. Uh, COVID-19, Vox is saying it's 1 to 3.4%. That's 200% more, 240% more range, right? So it's either 1% or all the way up to 3.4% death rate. That seems really high. That You would say to yourself, wait a minute, 0.1% was the flu. This is 1%. That's 10 times more than the flu. So 10 times more people (coughs) than the flu. Wait a minute. So the flu's killed, let's say, (coughs) a number of, say, 50,000 people. Let's just say that. It's actually around 38,000 in one year. So that means 10 times we're going to lose 380,000 people or as much as a million people. Mm. Is that what we're saying from this particular chart? based on what? On testing. Based on testing. But that testing was based on, if we look at the protocol for the testing, the conditions, the sampling criteria, was it randomized? No. No, it was a very specific criteria. So we basically have increased the number of people who already have the disease because the only people that can be tested are ones that were already sick or that some had some relationship to Wuhan, China travel, right? Mm-hmm. That's starting to change what, what the criteria is, but we're still basing our data on f- stuff that happened 14 days ago. Why 14 days ago?
0: Because that's what the infection period is.
1: So if I test you today, how long ago could it have been that you first got exposed?
0: Anywhere between 14 days and
1: yeah, one. between one and 14 days. The average being five. five. Well, we looked at some other data yesterday and the day before, what did we find out? How long does it take people to, on on average, to die from the time days. they get to fourteen days? Fourteen days from the time they showed symptoms, though.
0: So it could so be is that the twenty-eight. Same?
1: It could be twenty-eight days. That's thank you for doing that math. Okay, because in my you, head
0: with my lady. But brain. it's gonna
1: make it's yeah I know it's amazing. <laughs> How did you do it? I don't even know. How must <laughs> be all those recipes you do. Oh, he
0: does. <laughs> it's because I like to bake.
1: Right? Yeah. No, I that's funny. What we're saying is, is that we don't really know what the incidence is yet because incidence is showing how many cases are being, are, are being reported. What about the cases that are not reported? When we, we're going to look at Arizona. They do their stats, but they only do the stats of the state lab tests done. They don't do the stats of the, of the private labs. I mean, You think that if you're a private lab in the state of Arizona, how hard would it be to report your data to the state?
0: Well, since there's only 343 tests uh, a few days ago. Not very.
1: Yeah, but we can't seem like, to do that. Lou,
0: I got five. Yeah.
1: Hey, Louie, I got, I got five. five over here. Can you
0: add it to the... Can you tally it up? Pull a hash mark I got for a it. deuce over here. Exactly. It's like, do you think there's, like, somebody keeping, a, like, a wall and scratching little a little numbers and Yeah, a little bookie crossover? walking across her. What do you exactly. got? What do you got? Yeah. I don't know. Pima's
1: got five on... Crazy eight. Java you know? pie's got one. Yeah, that's our point. Is that there's seven million people? Okay, do we really think the rate of incidence is three hundred and forty two? I'm gonna complain about something. I looked today. They first today, yesterday they, uh, the state of Arizona had listed that they had done four hundred and two tests. Today they had listed they did three hundred and fifty two tests, and they had a footnote at the bottom saying that oopsie. We might have done the samples wrong on 52 tests or had some broken tubes or not have stored these things correctly. So we bungled 50 tests, which is 20% of our entire testing capacity. We either made a mistake or something was wrong with the test kits or we didn't swab them right. You think, well, these tests are so precious that we could get some training on these things so these things don't happen. But hey, people make mistakes, I get that. But think about it, what does it mean? Every time we test somebody, what does that mean for the hospital? Someone walks into the, to a facility, urgent care, ER, hospital. It could be an admission. But what happens? You have how many people are wearing gear, right? So they're using these healthcare people are using up resources, the PPE, their time, the patient, care, patient count, the beds, right? To do this test when they could be doing the what with those same beds. Well,
0: taking care of patients. Taking care of
1: other patients who are already sick, right? Or have something serious mm-hmm. wrong with them, like they had a heart attack or a gunshot wound, things like that. So we blew all this PPE on this testing and then we ruined 52 of those tests. Think of all the PPE we just wasted. Mm-hmm. I'm down with PPE.
0: But not wasting it.
1: Not wasting it. That's my point, is that the, it's not like, oh, darn, we made a mistake. It's look at all the capacity we lost in treating other people that we could have treated. So again... Do we, are we in containment mode or mitigation mode? That's up to how, how hospital administrators, the CDC, and the White House, and state governments make decisions, right? If we had to say to them, let's be done with testing. Instead of saying mixed messages, anybody who wants a test can have a test. We're getting millions of tests out there soon, and billionaires will pay for it. If you want a test, if you want a condom, you can get whatever you want. Oh, God. No, that's Bernie Sanders anyway. The point of the matter is is these things are not being said. What's really being said is you have the experts saying, give up on testing. We don't have the test. We're not getting the test anytime soon. We need to shift our focus to mitigation. Why does that policy not been specifically changed to get to a mitigation strategy? Some of it kind of has this uh, Michigan and these states that are doing lockdowns, if you will. That's a mitigation strategy. Basically says we've lost control of figuring out how many people has have the have the virus who has it and how we can contain it we've lost control so all we can do is do these draconian measures of making everybody stay home
0: and just know there this morning
1: yeah so i know it's even worse than that but that's what this means when you see these types of policies being put in place it's an admission of containment is over and we're here to mitigate does anyone like to have to mitigate would it have been better to contain like south korea did
0: that's easier to handle it.
1: Now, could that mean, does, does containment efforts always mean that you're not going to get have to get into mitigation? No. But the severity of the mitigation goes down. That's the point. If we can track these cases and we can, we can w- w- what they're going to call, flatten the curve, which I'm going to define and talk about, we're going to have a less money spent, less time people spent cooped up at home watching Netflix. I don't know about you, but there's only so much Netflix I can watch without getting into, into things like- You won't
0: watch Bravo with me. No. No.
1: No, 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 no. I already live with the real housewife of how, of North Scottsdale. I do not need another one of those. Like the one I got. Okay, so resource, this is the Vox chart we talked about. We're going to decide is the one to three point four percent an accurate case fatality rate or death rate or not. Okay, so what's gonna my little notes say to go to resource 50. Let's do it. 50.
0: By the way, for those fellow hand sanitizers, um, Aquafor on the outside of your knuckles and the outside of your hands will help because if your hands are like mine, they're getting super dry and cracked. So Aquafor.
1: We need to actually have Arnold do something with. I am the sanitizer.
0: A, yeah, I'm serious. Sanitize your it's, hands
1: three minutes.
0: I do that every Take winter it to the anyways, Just because I wear my gloves all day long and I wash my hands all day long, but really it does help. So just a little tip for you.
1: Just a tip. Yes. I'm using Jermax Sanitizer.
0: <laughs> Not sponsored.
1: <laughs> or Red Hot Chili Peppers.
0: I don't know how to do like Anthony. A, a, a
1: sanitizer. Could have been a miser. You remember know that song? Give it away. Give it away. Give it away. I give do up. remember that song, yeah. but I didn't say anything. It should anything be about keep, it yourself, keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself now. That's a challenge. Red Hot Chili Peppers or Weird Al Yankovic. Come up with that song and do the opposite of what it says. <laughs> okay. We're now looking at another published set of statistics that may or may not be correct now what's nice about this one is that all they're doing is basically quantifying the years the cases the deaths the fatality rate and the number of countries the problem with this is is in the fatality rate for covid19 it ain't over yet so how are we able to report this remember i'm going to show you you would be very tempted to take the number of cases and divide it by the number of deaths, right? To say there's the death rate. Unfortunately, that violates every rule of epidemiology because it doesn't factor in prevalence. We're going to talk about incidence and prevalence next, but let me get to these stats. Ebola. Anybody think that Ebola is worse or better? What do you think? Is he, Was Ebola's death rate better or worse than SARS-CoV-2?
0: Well, I'm sure it was worse because it's done now. But it had more. No, no,
1: time. no. But let's say when COVID nineteen is all done, SARS CoV two is done. Which is going to have a more a higher death rate?
0: I think it's going to be Ebola.
1: Yeah, by a lot. They had a forty percent death rate. Ebola's deadly, guys. It's a bad deal, right?
0: No shit. I don't
1: even know what the Nipah virus is. That was done in ninety eight, but a that what? it's called the Nipah. It had a seventy seven percent death rate. Let's not get that one. SARS. We're talking about SARS-CoV-1. That was in 2002. Hong Kong. 2003. No, it was actually in 2002 okay. it began. It, it started to get worse in I they had a second resurgence of it in 2003, and they reported on it in 2004. Don't test me on my statistics, young lady. <laughs> <laughs> Except when I'm wrong. Then test me. Okay, it was actually 2002. They had 8,000 cases. They had 774 deaths, which gave them a 9.6% death rate. That seems pretty high, doesn't That's it? Nice. What was the problem with that? Let's just take a guess when we look at the reporting and and what were they who did they take samples of for their testing in SARS?
0: I'm sure people who tested positive
1: people well, no that's obvious no we're saying where where did these people come from I don't know oh um, they looked at basically. One of these wet markets again, and they tested people who had come in contact with people who were from that vicinity, who had who had flown to Hong Kong or had flown to Canada and a couple of different countries, right? Mm-hmm. So they they were doing containment, right? What, containment policy means what? It's appropriate to do this. You find out who has it and you track them down. You do detective work, so like it's like a, like being a cop. I was a cop for X amount of years, quite a few, and. If I got a piece of evidence, like someone, someone did something, I followed every single lead of anyone they, they came into contact with and interviewed those people. Well, what we're doing with this is we're not randomly sampling the population. That can't, in containment, that's helpful for establishing when we want to have actual statistics. But the goal of containment at the time is to track it down and contain those people.
0: Hence the word containment.
1: Hence the tent containment. Like, that's why we, we did things like not let that cruise ship come in, Right that Diamond Princess Cruise that had all those people from Wuhan. We we quarantined those people, right? That's why China, when they found out they had a problem in their Wuhan district, stopped people moving around from other districts and shut down their industries for long periods of time where they had the military enforce it and loudspeakers saying, come out of your house and bad things happen. How do I know this? Um, We have folks that do our manufacturing for us for some of our products in China and I talked to those people via Skype on a fairly regular basis and they didn't leave their house, and when one of the persons was stuck at the factory, they didn't leave that factory for, I believe it was three weeks. Three weeks. So that's a long time. Okay. So MERS, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, right? Again, do we name things after where they come from anymore? No. We call them now by what they do or when, when they were discovered. So MERS was done in 2012. There was 2494 people. There was 858 deaths. That was a 34% fatality rate. Is that an artificial fatality rate or what? How did they track down the merged people? Same way. They found who had it and then they tracked down those people. They got to the point. So when we see these artificially high rates and there's not that many people that are, there's only 2494 cases. There's two possible things that could have happened, right? One, they missed a crap load of cases, right? Mm -hmm. Or two, they did a heck of a job containing it. Yeah. No. That's all you got, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. What do we think happened on MERS? I have no idea. Well, what would have happened with a death rate of 34% if we missed containment?
0: <laughs> it would have wiped out a huge, it would out, what, 100 million people here? It
1: could have, but there's one other possibility. What could that possibility be?
0: I don't know, Dr. Krupp, why don't you tell well, that me? That other
1: possibility could be it's actually only a very few people die from it, and many people can be what we call subacute we don't even know we have symptoms right Mm -hmm. but yet we get the disease and we heal from it we get over it right Mm -hmm. so that's another possibility is that this MERS thing yeah it killed of the the cases that we even knew about those are the people that there was a vast minority of people who had serious enough cases where they died and of the of the serious cases 34 percent of those people died so do these numbers tell us relative to how the collection was done
0: no
1: no Without that story about who, how it was tracked down. If I say, I like whodunit novels, I like whodunit podcasts, you know, like true crime, things like that. I don't spend that much time on them, but I do enjoy those things. The problem is, if you don't tell the whole story of how they went down to it, they say it, it becomes a game of clue. It was Professor Mustard in the, the conservatory with uh, Pipe Ranch. Right? That's the problem. Is that yeah, you get to the get to the point, but it doesn't tell you the whole story. In this particular case, reporting this data, trying to compare it to each other, ignores the fact that it was completely different containment efforts, completely different sampling efforts. Sample size isn't shown in here at all, right? So we don't really know if we can compare this. In fact, statistically, this is a nightmare. You would get an F minus 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 if your statistics professor. If you gave this chart to your statistics professor, they would beat you about the head and neck with with a curled up statistics book. Or lickless. Because this is horrible. You don't do this. This isn't how it's done. But this is what's being reported. And this is what the kind of thing that the average citizen looks at and goes, oh, my God, 34%, we're all going to die. Get some toilet paper now that's my first reaction when I'm going to die. He's goes, buy up as much toilet paper I wasn't paper coughing possible. until you made me laugh. i got to cover my ass. That's what this is about.
0: <coughs> Literally. Good thing that ass doesn't take I that much. I still
1: don't get. Yeah, I have more. People have buns. I have more like pita. pita. That's a lot of information for people, but it's the truth. You know?
0: So we're okay on our toilet paper. Don't yeah, worry about us. Yeah, i got us. plenty.
1: i got a, I got a square to don't spare. Don't worry about us. I have multiple squares to spare. my At least my five. Friend. At least five. Five dollars. Okay, what I'm saying is, is that when we look at this data, the problem is, is that we don't know the sampling. So now, so for whatever weird reason, they're going to report COVID-19's data. This thing isn't even just, we're just barely dirty. in the acceleration phase. Well, it, 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 was it for China? It doesn't say if it was for China or not, because you know, we could theoretically have a little bit more certainty because the, the virus has, done, has, has started to run its course. They're still getting reinfections from people coming back into their country again, by the way. They're having very, very low domestic cases where they believe that they can't track it. Because they're doing a heck of a job doing surveillance now. But once the disease is over, is it easier to do surveillance? Yeah. Yeah. What does surveillance mean? That's the tracking of the cases during containment. The surveillance part is the sleuth mystery cop work of we figure out who has the who has it and how who they gave it to. The containment part is now you gather, gather those people up and you say, you ain't going nowhere for two weeks or three weeks. Okay. I do want to point out there is a study and several studies and it's been supported by both the WHO and the CDC that I didn't put in here. That says that we talked about incubation period that it can take as much as 11 days. It, ta- it can take as much as two to three weeks for the symptoms to per- to go away. I didn't get to that statistic. The reason why I didn't get to that statistic is I didn't want to make it more complicated than it is. This is super complicated in some ways, and otherwise it's not that complicated. Charts like this are not helpful because. Give me the reason why they aren't helpful. Why can't I compare this? We had two twenty-two thousand. I'm sorry, two hundred twenty-two thousand six hundred forty-two cases. 9,115 deaths, giving us a death rate of
0: 4.1%. Is this on SARS-2?
1: Yeah, on SARS-2. It's not done. But what else?
0: We don't know where it's coming from.
1: What else? In the collection of samples. We
0: also don't know who, has, who hasn't who has been tested that doesn't have it, or who has, has it who hasn't been tested.
1: Right. We've only like been if, testing if, the serious pe- people with yeah. serious illness. So They're you, self-identifying. It's yes. skewing the... It's waiting... Waiting, like in, I'm weightlifting, I'm burly. It's weighting the, ev- the sample size towards those who already have it. So I, I, I'm I a fantastic artist, in case, case anybody didn't know. In like, fact, my it's art good. is, gee, I mean, it's basically. You're a really good like, liar, Like if you too. can have Picasso and. Very group. Well, yeah, but I mean, I'm not going to cut my ear off to, to prove a point here. My and point is, is that my artwork is. Fantabulous. I'm going to be talking about my own little way of expressing and discussing incidence and prevalence. Okay, one thing I need to get to before I do that is resource number six, which talks about the incubation time. Need to do that. So let's do that. Incubation period. Come on, incubation period. I have a supercomputer here. It's very fast. Um, Again, we just wanted to point out we have, this is coming from, China. It was a article that said the incubation period of coronavirus disease 2019 from publicly reported confirmed cases estimation and application. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. This was not from China. This is data from the United States. And what it's saying is, is that, nope, lied. I completely lied on that. This is done from China. I was right the first time. It says there were 181 confirmed cases with identifiable exposure and symptom onset windows to estimate the incubation period of COVID-19. The median incubation period was estimated to be 5.1 days, with a 95% confidence interval of 4.5 to 5.8. What is it? What is a confidence interval?
0: So they, they're confident those information is correct. Yeah, basically,
1: it's basically it's a statistical concept that says. We believe that between this range, this number, we're pretty, we're 95% confident this number is accurate within this range. Mm-hmm. It's it's about how accurate something is to the degree of uh, probability and the degree of error. Okay. 97, 97.5 of those who develop symptoms will do so within 11.5 days. Okay. So that's the max range. So that, that's the range piece. Okay. And it says, these estimates imply that under conservative assumptions, 100, 101 out of 10,000 cases will develop symptoms after 14 days of active monitoring and quarantine. So they take the math, extrapolate it, and this is what they get it from. This is where we get our 14 days from. Now, what's, one of the things that people are missing and, and our own government's guidance is missing, it says, if, you don't, if you've been exposed, right, it says you need to quarantine yourself for how long? Fourteen days. Fourteen days, but that doesn't make sense, right? Because if you've been exposed, it could take you as much as eleven days to to develop symptoms. So you get you get exposed. Eleven days. You, you put yourself in quarantine. You're exposed. Your family member has it. You put yourself in quarantine, right?
0: Well, then in eleven days, now you got to add another two weeks onto it. That's
1: right. Because now now you develop symptoms. Yeah. So how? Long, but then how long do the symptoms last that you're, you're that you're theoretically can infect someone else? 14 14 more days. days. So
0: you're in. So you need to
1: quarantine yourself for another two weeks. Is that in the guidance? I haven't seen (coughs) it. It is not in the guidance. It basically says seven days.
0: Oh, that's dumb.
1: But that's not based on what the data shows about this particular disease, right? This is what I'm saying is we're making up arbitrary numbers. You seven days. Everybody else, if you've been exposed. Uh let's do 14 days. That sounds good, right? It's a good round number. Well, it
0: should match up with what the symptoms of clearing them up are. But it doesn't. Contagious. So
1: what happens if someone who gets exposed on day one doesn't show symptoms for 11 days, but on day one they put themselves in quarantine saying, I got three more days to go, and then I'm out of this quarantine, I'm going back to work. What are they going to do when they go back to work?
0: They'll be at the highest
1: viral load they could be at. Yeah. It should be you get exposed, Right. Put yourself in quarantine for 14 days. If you don't have symptoms after 14 days, then you can do what? You can go back up. What happens if you show symptoms any during that period of time? Then the clock You've got should, another 14-day The clock, clock should
0: start at that point for 14 days. Thank
1: you. Is that what's being put on the simple president's guidance? No. no. So, so the
0: problem is is if we have these people in their quarantine and they do develop symptoms and then they go back out, now they're going to infect a whole lot more people.
1: Yeah, but well, I put my 14 days in though. This is why arbitrary numbers don't work. This, the numbers have to ma- match up to how, whether or not something is actually transmissible or not, right? Mm-hmm. This is why we look at the data. Hopefully, while you're listening to this podcast, besides the fact that I'm incredibly funny, the real thing is, is you, I, I, I know you want to be entertained. Are you not entertained? But okay. at the same time, that was my gladiator.
0: Is that what that was? Mm-hmm. I wasn't quite sure.
1: Yeah, I Thanks. Don't worry. I could have done it better than you would have been like, oh, my gosh. You've been so awesome. You've been st- oh, so awestruck. Yeah, no. No, it didn't happen? Okay. No. Well, my point is this, okay. is that we need to talk about the fact that the policy of 11, of 14 days or seven days, which doesn't even match up to anything, doesn't match up to what really happens with this disease. You can get the disease and not show symptoms for for as much as 14 days, but 11 being what they're considered to be the average. You can get it as soon as five days, right? Mm-hmm. Once you get the, once you start to show symptoms, what happens?
0: The clock should reset.
1: Tomorrow. Now, what's the problem? Where's the testing in this part of this? There isn't any. There isn't any testing. So what, what, what could happen?
0: Well, you could have just had a cold.
1: Yeah. Now, I'm going to jump ahead of myself for a second because this is going to be, you're going to find this interesting because I find it interesting. I am going to look at the state of Arizona stats from today. Is stat number 30, uh, resource number 38. I'm going to make a point about this because when we're talking about you could feel sick, but have it not be SARS-CoV-2, right? What does this say here? It says, man, I can't read that. My glasses. No, I'm going to zoom it. Let's do two hundred percent. Oh, I can read it now. It says there were two hundred and thirty-four cases. This is today's data, and two deaths. Okay. It says this is what I want people to get: is that number of positive cases. There was a total. There was a total of two hundred and fifty-two people tested so far. Huge numbers. In Arizona. Are huge. Yeah. Okay. Biggest numbers ever. Beautiful testing, 252 people out of 7 million. Of the 252, number of people, I'm sorry, 352. That makes a huge difference. I can barely read this thing. 352. Out of that, 309 of them were ruled out. 309 well, I, people came back as false, came back as negative. Are they,
0: are they coming back as false positives, though? No,
1: not false positives, negatives. So, so that means that only 43 people were positive. What does that mean to you? 309 people that were tested came back out of the 352 came back as not having COVID 19. Two possibilities. What are they? One, our test isn't sensitive enough, or they did it wrong enough that they they didn't get that. They didn't find it when they should have. That's called a false negative. Mm Let's assume that didn't happen. Let's assume that everyone's just a a, a testing machine. They're really good at it. Best tester ever. Stable tester on top of it. Number of positives were 43. Number of pendings are 6. Number ruled out 309. So one thing is, is the test could be missing it or... They don't have it. They don't have it. So the criteria, is the criteria any good then? If you start to see a lot of false negatives or a bunch of what we consider to be true negatives, does that mean you're so your sampling criteria must not Probably be that great good. what is this what is the criteria right now? You they have traveled to, be, to China and you have to be the and numbers, or or, or I don't know. it used to be and in the very very beginning it was and now it's or so people really sick people said I'm feeling like crap right now I think I have SARS-CoV-2. What else could they have had?
0: They could have had the flu
1: because it's flu season. Flu season <laughs> is it allergy season? But
0: aren't they testing for the flu before they use a the test for COVID-19? No,
1: they're not. If they're presumptively testing now, will they will they continue to follow up with other tests if they come out negative on that? I can I don't know. Do they? It depends. How much is the patient pushing? But all we can say from this data is is that they came back negative. Okay, it's either a false negative, which is most likely is not the case, a very low percentage of that, or the testing criteria blows, right? Mm-hmm. If you're feeling really sick, so what happens? What happens when you surf WebMD?
0: Bad things. Yeah. I see out of that. Like, didn't you
1: thought you had a... I thought I had MS. You thought you had MS. Because I
0: walked into things and I was forgetful and my friend reminded me that I am very clumsy and I'm getting older. Right.
1: I forget. Okay, <laughs> if, my, if my mom is listening to this... Um, she and my family, they'll know that I can walk out of the house and they won't even say goodbye to me the first time because they know when I come back the second time because um, I forgot my wallet, then they'll say goodbye. Sometimes I'll wait till the third time. I can't walk out of a building without forgetting something.
0: I know. I have to remind him, do you have your wallet? Do you have your keys? Do you have your phone?
1: I have to almost genuflect like wallet, keys, phone like that <laughs> to, in order to be able to make it out of the house. And I still don't make it out of the house. My point is I think that all the time I'm constantly convinced that I have uh, Alzheimer's. Or some sort of, uh, you know, early onset Alzheimer's. Now, sadly, the true story, my father died of Alzheimer's. So I'm um, I, I obviously worried about that. Um, looking at my uh, my uh, 23andMe testing, I have one copy of the gene, not both, which means my probability is much lower than his, which we don't know what his was because he didn't take the test. But the point of this is, is that I constantly think the worst. So if, I'm a, if, if I say to patients, all you have to do is feel really lousy and have like really bad, unable to breathe. Are there lots of people with other conditions that that, that's an exact sign of that are exacerbated by seasonal allergies Mm -hmm. and the flu and just the common cold? Yeah. Now, should we have not tested them? Of course we should have tested them, but maybe we need to look at this data and say, if we're getting this many negatives, change our criteria or go to just a generic random criteria. Now, When could I make that decision about random criteria? If I had enough test kits. If I don't have enough test kits, under a mitigation strategy, when should the test kits be used? In a hospital setting and for... Hospital workers. We should be doing what with hospital workers?
0: Testing Testing,
1: whether they're symptomatic or not. Why?
0: Because if they aren't to the point where they're showing symptoms, but they are positive, they should <coughs> be at work.
1: Because they're going to do what?
0: They're going to infect other people.
1: Is, including other healthcare workers, yeah. right? If they don't have the Probably proper Probably more PPE. healthcare
0: workers because they won't have their PPE around their fellow Exactly.
1: So, why do we need, when we, should, when we look at policy, anybody who wants a test can get a test. Is that a good thing to say right now?
0: Well, it doesn't match up with it. What but reality I mean, is.
1: anybody that wants it. Is it important that anybody gets the testing at this point?
0: No, it's important that the healthcare workers Hel- get it. What
1: we should say is unless you're a healthcare provider or very, very ill and gone to the hospital, you ain't getting the test. Instead of saying we have millions of tests coming your way, it's just a matter of time. And then the governors are like, well, where are these millions of tests we got? Oh, well, they're coming. Any minute now, they're gonna be here. If a governor thinks he's got he or she's got Millions of tests coming. What What is he or she likely to do? Go ahead and test and more the people. That have, we've got That's the other right. We have more coming. So this is why we don't say things like that in press conferences if it isn't true. And if it is true, the experts, the people who actually deal with infectious diseases, epidemiologists who are used to healthcare crisis and have dealt with other pandemics need to say, no, it doesn't matter if you want one or not. Right now, the priority is healthcare workers and those who are very sick. Not who gives a crap if you went to China or not anymore, right?
0: Or if you're a basketball player.
1: That's all done. Yeah. You know, well, obviously there's been a report that said if you spend enough money that you can get a, get a test. I don't know. I mean that's capitalism in this country. I'm not saying that. You know who knows if, if that works or doesn't work if it's true or not true. But the point is, is what our policy is right now if you want a test, you can get a test. Why would we say such a thing? Why do we want just a random person to go get a test? Does it change their, their care? We've looked at that data yesterday. Does it change their care? No. Does it use up a bunch of PPE that could have been used doing yes. something else? Once you get your positive, what are you going to do?
0: Well, if you if just have mild symptoms, you're going to go home.
1: And There's do nothing, what?
0: And sit there. You're
1: still stuck. The, the rule is stay socially isolated. So you're going to be socially isolated anyway, whether you have it or don't have it, if you're following the rules, right? Mm-hmm. So why does it matter if we test? Not for practical things. Under the conditions that we don't have enough test kits. If we have enough test kits, then then it's important to do that. But then we want to randomly sample people, right? Mm -hmm. So that we get a true idea of the incidence rate, prevalence rate, and death rate. Okay? Let's move on. We have rascally math. Determining mortality... During active pandemics, resource thirty seven. Okay, I'm gonna get into this. Let's get into the weeds. Let's get I'm gonna have my math skills on display for y'all.
0: Mine will not be joining you.
1: I was in the science league in high school and I was uh, and and I did a little, little stint as a math as well. Yeah. I bet you were the very for popular that is tough with the leaders. I mean you really gotta stretch and things like that. And I was red shirted my first year. You know, and I was brought back, but I, that's why I got to play five years because you know injured reserve. They put me on the injured reserve. I had a little thumb issue. Figure it out. Thank you. Swiss Medical Weekly. Is that a real thing? It's a real thing. Formerly the Schweizerin Medizinische Wochen Schrift. Same thing for those of you who speak Swiss
0: speak Swedish, but Swedish chef. not
1: Swedish Swiss get it right Swiss chef Swiss is different than Swedish S- Swedish is that's the Swedish chef the Swiss chef would be more like Swiss I don't know Swiss <laughs> Smith okay basically at present it is tempting to uh, this is coming from some doctor types Uh the Professor Manuel Batigay, MD Division of Infectious Disease and in Hospital Epidemiology University Hospital in Basel, Schweiz, or Switzerland. At present, it is tempted... I'm sorry, let me start again. At present... Should I do it in a Swiss accent? No. At present, it is... Never mind. It is tempting to estimate the case fatality rate by dividing the number of known deaths by the number of confirmed cases. The resulting number, however, does not represent the true case fatality rate It might be off by orders of magnitude. What does orders of magnitude mean? Lots. By tens, right? So it could be 10 times too low by 100 times too low, 1,000. First order of magnitude is 10. Second order of magnitude is 100. Third order of magnitude is 1,000, and so on, and so on, and so on. Like the Fabergé Organic commercial, I just dated myself because that was like 1981. They told two friends, and so on, and and so so on. I think it was before that. That's exponential, actually. Anyway, that's not orders of magnitude. It's exponential. Get it right. Diagnosis of viral infection will precede recovery or death by days to weeks, and the number of deaths should therefore be compared to the past case counts. This is me talking about this prevalence idea in 14 days. Accounting for this delay, increasing the estimate of, fa- of the fatality rate. On the other hand, cases in official statistics are likely to severely underestimate the total. Accounting for this underestimate will decrease the case fatality rate. What does that mean? what we've been saying all along. If people are asymptomatic or because of the policy they can't get tested, they can't be counted. Mm -hmm. So therefore the total number of cases is severely underestimated. This is that sampling bias or sampling error, right? Mm -hmm. You're taking a death count, if you will, or mortality count. It has another name. And you're basically saying, it's called the case fatality rate. You're basically saying that if 100 people are sick and 10 die, I have a 1%, a 1%. A, I'm sorry, 100 people and 10 is 10%. 10%. 1000 people and 10 that's 1%. 1%. We that that so there it is, it's a 10%. The problem is is that 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 1000 people isn't representative of the population. It's only representative of that sample and that sample was taken from people under conditions that said what? You have to be sick to take the test. Mm-hmm. So that that doesn't count any of the people who aren't sick but still have a disease. So we never get a true snapshot of what the disease is really like because we're only testing the sickest people. So therefore, we're going to get uh, inflated. We can't tell how inflated, right? But yet we're using this data to freak people out. The influenza rate, right? We know, that's, that's a known rate because it's already over, right? Mm-hmm. But is, was that still accurate? We still don't know. Did we get all the cases of influenza, right?
0: Nobody knows. Nobody
1: knows. Was a there a push to have develop the, influenza testing? But what's the flu just stay at home anyways. But what's the, what's the difference between SARS-CoV-2 and influenza? Is there a vaccine?
0: There's a vaccine that sometimes works.
1: Right, for, for the flu. Yes. So what's the problem with that? A bunch of people who... Now that pool is limited and weighed down because there's a bunch of people who can't get it. Those people need to be taken out of the equation. If you can't get the thing, you can't be counted for incidents. So mm-hmm. now it becomes far more complicated right mm-hmm. so the conditions for sampling for the flu are different than the conditions sampling for SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 so to compare those two death rates you would have to use the same sampling criteria but you're not right
0: yeah this is not a vaccine that's it. like
1: me telling you I want you to use two units of flour to make your cookies and I want you to use two f- units of flour to make your cake but I don't tell you what the, the units unit are in one, it could be a cup for the cookies, and it could be uh, a ton for the cake. Is that going to make a difference? Because yeah. that's what we're talking about, this order of magnitude thing. A teaspoon versus a cup would be one order of magnitude. The next order of magnitude would be probably a bushel. And then the next order of magnitude would be a ton. We're saying that our data of what our sampling went to could be order of multiple orders of magnitude. So we could be you supposed to be sampling a teaspoon or a ton, Does it make a difference if I use a ton or a teaspoon of flour in a cookie? Yeah. It does. Does it make a difference if I use a group of very sick people and and randomly a group of people when I'm sampling for disease rate? Uh Yes. That's the same exact thing. Okay. The time between diagnosis and death recovery and degree of underreporting will vary over time as well as between cities and countries. A precise estimate of the case fatality rate is therefore impossible at present.
0: Can you say that again, please?
1: It's impossible to do a case fatality rate.
0: That's because we're in the middle of it. Because and we're in the, in the middle of it middle, and we don't know our beginning. sampling.
1: What? Is, how is our sampling affecting the true rate? I'll read it again. <laughs> a precise estimate of the case fatality rate is therefore impossible at present. So us putting these numbers like Vox... And Business Insider putting these numbers out, what's the problem with that? It's not real. We have no idea if they're correct or not because it's not possible to know. But you can start sure scare the crap out of people. Now, I'm not an anti-press person. I believe in the sanctity of the press. But press likes to sell stories, and stories that are juicy or exciting or scary sell more. So if you get to if if someone publishes a statistic And it's taken out of context also under the the premise that we're doing what we can, but therefore here's what our numbers are now, but we're saying these numbers aren't accurate. Does that that part get reported? No. I'm not talking about fake news. I'm talking about the fact that you can take a statistic out of context and report it and have it policy be made on that. When in reality, that statistic, we have no way of knowing if that statistic is correct or not. In fact, we know that it is not. We know that 3.4% is not correct because we know that we're only testing the sickest people. Right? Uh So therefore, we're artificially inflating the rate. Now, why would we want to artificially inflate the rate? To justify our policies of containment Uh or mitigation. In this case, mitigation. We want to justify our policies of containment when we, we didn't let those people off the boat. People would normally be outraged by that, right? What do you mean? A cruise ship full of people and they can't get off for 14 days? I remember when I first heard that, I'm like, first thing in my head says, that's ridiculous. I went on a stupid holiday cruise and now I'm stuck here for 14 days? That's ridiculous. (coughs) was it the right move. Under containment guidelines, heck yes. Now, when it comes to we're in a mitigation stage, whether we admit it or not, is social distancing for two weeks the correct move? Under mitigation strategy.
0: But we're not in.
1: But we are in it, whether we admit it or not. Is it the right move? I'm asking your opinion. Why?
0: Because the whole thing that we're trying to mitigate is having the healthcare system overwhelmed, which means if you are healthy and you stay at home, you can't get infected. Right. So then you won't end up at the hospital. What if you're
1: not healthy and stay at home?
0: Well, depending on your symptoms.
1: Then you can't.
0: Then you infect can others. infect others.
1: Because so. you're at home. Unless you're going to infect the people that yeah. are at home. But that's so better I, than infecting. So, so going through the drive through Thumbs up or thumb down? Thumb down. Okay, why? Because you don't know. Because you don't, don't
0: know. And you could you could be infecting the person at the drive through that infects hundreds of people after you. Or they could infect you.
1: If someone has a port wine stain or has sunburn, do you know they have it?
0: Yeah. Can you, can you stay, stay
1: away that. from those people?
0: Why do I stay away from them?
1: Could you stay away? I'm not saying you should. Could you stay away yes. from those people? Why? Because you'd be able to visibly see, see they have it. If someone is in day four of being exposed, can you see that they're in day four?
0: Well, it depends on how sick they are.
1: What if they're not sick at all? You no. Know. Can you see it at all? No. No. So, so if we can't see it, we have to do things like do social distancing because we've lost our ability to figure out who has it and who doesn't because we don't have what. Testing, mm-hmm. we don't have the testing capil- cap- okay, talk. capability or capacity. capacity in order to test everyone. So if you want to test, you can't get it. But if you need a test, in many cases, you can't, you get, can't it. get it. So therefore, we've lost the ability to figure out who has and who doesn't. So what is our next strategy left? Mitigation, mm-hmm. which means that we treat everybody like they have it and we socially isolate them so they can't pass it on until the, de- the, till the disease course passes mm-hmm. however if we have 14 days and up to two to three weeks of symptoms right how long does it take for for, for this so we, we're doing a 15 day flatten the curve program right mm-hmm. what's the problem with 50, at the end of the 15 days
0: well i can't everything everything is not going to be able to go back to
1: normal why not because you
0: have all of these people i'm going to stop
1: it right now 15 days i did 15 days because,
0: because if they're symptomatic and, and, the, and they don't show days. their symptoms until 14 days, now they should add another 14 days onto it. So 28 days, can they go back to work? Don't know, because we don't know what everybody else is doing.
1: What if there's other cases coming into this country and then now they're not in the same cycle that we're on? Is everybody in the exact She's same cycle? Did everyone out. get... There was the person from China who ate the bat who then went around and got everyone sick at the same time is that what happened no did everyone get sick at the same time no they got so sick what happens if i get sick on june 1st i'm picking that out and i run into somebody on june 15th i get them sick when did they get sick june 1st no june 15th so then now they're gonna have to wait their 15 days right What mm-hmm. if they get someone sick on day 14
0: then it's gonna keep there's going.
1: july 1st so we could theoretically ride this thing for a long period of time right mm-hmm. okay That isn't exactly how epidemiology works, but it's a a consideration. This is this magical two week thing. Does it help flatten the curve? I think it will help. But what happens after you flatten the curve? If you've lost control of knowing who has the disease, the only way to get it back is to do what? Know who has the disease. So during this period of mitigation, what your the goal should be the way the goal that that's been laid out by the WHO and the CDC and and other countries is, is that you do everything in your power to come up with your bring your testing capacity up, so that at the end of this whatever period of that mitigation period you can go back to figuring out who has it and containing those people. Because so if you, you go can't, back to
0: containment, yes. So you go. You, we've already missed containment, so now we're in mitigation. Then we hope to go back and... If contain- you can't do
1: containment, at least you can do case isolation in that particular case. Okay. Now, what's the good news? If this was a disease that you could catch more than once, game's over, right? Because you could be just whacking them all.
0: there are some people cases that have been Very few in China. We've
1: had two. And we don't know if, if that, their testing protocol was such that they got a false positive. So I'm for the purposes until we can prove otherwise, we're going to ignore that. Because if that really was the case, it's game over. Because if you can catch it again, then you might as well be in containment forever, no, but we're, we're, we don't see that data, and it doesn't line up with data from other like SARS CoV one and MERS. Those people are immune afterwards, so we would we would hope that 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 this is the case of this. We believe that it is, and we believe those two cases might be just poor diagnosis or some residual or some testing error. If we're talking about two people out of the population of China, okay, right? So we're looking at point oh 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 one, right? Because they got how many how many people do they have in China?
0: I don't know how many billion.
1: Billions. Okay. Two oh. out of billions. Okay. So what are we talking about again?
0: I don't even forget. Talking that.
1: about testing. <laughs> We're talking about the fact that when you're done with doing mitigation and containing people, what you're trying to do is figure out get your testing capacity up during that period of time so you can then you can then you can let those people go and then you can contain again and isolate, right? Mm-hmm. You're gonna do surveillance again. Okay. Let us get into the thrill of prevalence versus incidence. I'm gonna start out with a very simple statement that I'm gonna say what, the, what I consider to be the easy way and all of you look at me like, what? For those of you who know this, I apologize. This is so simplified, but it, it needs to be because it, it's, mis, it's being misquoted in the, the media. The easy way to remember the difference is that prevalence is the proportion of cases in the population at a given time <laughs> rather than the rate of occurrence of new cases. Thus, incidence conveys information about the risk of contracting the disease, whereas prevalence indicates how widespread the disease is. Okay, I, again, I'm going to show my wonderful artwork here. Uh, for those of you, this will be on the screen while we talk about it. I like gumballs, so I am going to use a gumball machine or bubble gum machine as my... Is that what that is? That is my, that's my bubble. That's alien. So on the top of my gumball machine, I have the ability to pour new gumballs in okay. from a bag that says bubble gumballs. My machine lets gumballs out by just spinning the spinner. It does say 25%, uh, 25 cents, but I disabled that. Just spin the spinner and it'll come out, okay? For the purposes of explaining my metaphor, okay, the amount of people in the community or in the country... Are, is the bubblegum machine the, the 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 machine that's holding the bubblegum is the amount of the people in the community okay, okay? the bag of bubblegum balls that i'm pouring into the top are the people that are being tested okay okay and the people that are coming up positive the faster i pour more people into the bubblegum machine from the bag the higher the incidence. So the incidence is, is if, if there's more people being added that say that, that, that they could have it, that's a higher incidence. It's mm-hmm. a faster rate of incidence. <laughs> to get the gumballs out, they can come out in one of two ways. They can either be cured or recover, or they can die. That's it, right? Mm-hmm. So those are your two outcomes, okay? So prevalence is the amount of gumballs in the machine.
0: To start with, or yes. that you
1: added that the, the, the a, as we're going in, in a period of time, the number of gumballs in the machine. Okay, okay. that's your burden. What you want to look at is it's also equals the number of cases divided by the num- total number of people over time. Another way to look at prevalence is incidence. So how many gumballs <coughs> are putting <coughs> in there? <coughs> <coughs> Sorry, Incidence. Okay. Done? Yeah. Awesome. Incidence times the however long people have the disease and either recover or die. What is that number of days? It's 14. It's 14. Okay. So incidence can be thought of as the number of new cases divided by the number of people at risk. The risk incidence is the risk of getting the disease. So what I did was is I said, what if I'm talking about how we're doing sampling. We're basically saying sampling, we're only sampling sick people, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to try to adapt that to my bubble gum machine thing. I'm going to say is what if there's two kinds of gumballs that come out of my bag that I'm pouring in there. I have the smaller black ones that can easily slip out of the machine. And at the end, those are the ones of the people that die, okay? okay? Our sample bag has mostly black gumballs as we only test very sick people. So, they have a, so those people have a greater chance of dying, right? Making mm-hmm. it out of the machine is dead. Okay. So basically, the number of gumballs in the machine at, at one time is the prevalence. Okay. The number of gumballs I'm adding into the machine is the incidence. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Awesome. So you'll see the graphic. All right. So what does that mean for us? Well... Let's do some comparisons again. Let's look at SARS-CoV-1 and SARS-CoV-2 comparison to get a sense of what the work done. Why are we looking at SARS-CoV-1? Because
0: it's very close. And
1: it's already done. Mm-hmm. It already happened, So we can go back and look at that data. What did we already say, though, earlier in, the, in this thing? It's has more serious consequences. You get sicker.
0: But less people get but sick. But less
1: people get sick. Okay. So we can keep that in mind. So we're going to look at resource lucky number... 24. 24. Thank you, friend. Okay. Here's a summary of cases that was done. Okay? Basically, this is all said and done. This is a summary table of SARS cases by country from November 2002 to August 2003. So, did it capture the entire time there were cases?
0: What was the time? September yeah. to
1: August. No, it says... Sorry, I moved the graphic on myself here. November of 2002 through August of 2003. So it captured the time that all the cases occurred, okay? It basically says this, that there were a total number of 8,422 cases, okay? Mm Mm-hmm. And there were 916 deaths, which gives us a 10.88 death rate. Okay. Do we think this is particularly representative? It's over now. I don't think so. What's the problem? What was their testing protocol for it? I don't know. They only tested people who were... Sick. Sick or had come into contact. So does that artificially make more black gumballs that can slip through and be dead? Yes. So we've, we've increased it. Have we looked at asymptomatic people? No. Now, what did we say? People got sicker right mm-hmm. but not as frequently mm-hmm. so in this particular case does that does that make it so it seems like there'd be more asymptomatic people or less asymptomatic people
0: probably more symptomatic people since there's going to be right. you're not going to well no cuz if you don't if you it's less prevalent then you Let's would make have, it I'll make
1: it easy on you if we already said that you get sicker with SARS-CoV-1 are there more people that are sicker or less people that are sicker? Less. No, there's more. I just said it. There's more people that get sick with SARS-CoV-1. I'm talking about the
0: rest of the population. No, though.
1: I'm talking about it just in general. If you get SARS-CoV-1, the chances of you actually having symptoms compared it's to SARS-CoV-2 high. is higher. Yes. So, to, so is this data more or less accurate? Because they tested the sick people, it's more accurate because you are more likely to have, be sicker. Okay. But if this was SARS-CoV-2, would this data be more or less accurate? It'd be less accurate. Because in in the case of SARS-CoV-2, more people get it, but many of these people are either asymptomatic or have mild symptoms. So that really blows apart this 11% statistic. They are not equally. You don't get quite as sick, and more people get sick. Mm -hmm. So if more people get sick, but you can't tell that they're sick, are the numbers of people who have this disease, SARS-CoV-2, Greater or less than SARS-CoV-1? To be greater. Greater. So does that mean if we try to compare this 11% death rate to the death rate of SARS-CoV-2, which would 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 SARS-CoV-2, knowing this, would it be higher or lower? It's
0: going to be lower. It
1: have to be lower. To what extent? I
0: don't know.
1: Well, we can use things like this. We know that the the, the binding protein is 10 to 20 times greater. Can we use that? Can we directly attribute to 10 to 20 number? No. No, we can't do that, but we know it's less. So, is that helpful to us? By comparing the transmissibility to the death rate of a known disease to a disease we're still trying to figure out, is it helpful to look at theirs and then compare it to ours? Well, yes. Uh, yes, it is. It basically says we know that this disease makes more people sick, but it makes the people who get it get sicker, but not as many people get sick as what we have going on right now. So that says to ourselves, we know that this 11% can't be that high because when we look at our data, we see numbers that show around what percentage right now? Well, the Vox is reporting between 1 and 3.4%. What did Dr. Fauci report <coughs> in his Closer press conference? Closer to 1. What is influenza? Oh, uh, What is influenza? Is this like what, 0.1? Point one? Point 0.1. So this is 10 times greater, right? Yeah. Is that been borne out in the data? No. Not yet, it hasn't, because we don't know yet. Why do we not know if it's been born out of the data? Because we're only testing the sick people. Besides that, let's say we were testing everybody. How many people have we tested? Not that many. 400. So if there's 7 million people in Arizona, and we've only tested 402 of them, but oops, wait a minute, 52 of those tests get thrown out, now we're back down to 300, 302. What are we going to do? Are we making decisions about mortality rate? case fatality rate, if you will, based on 0.01 percent of the population? Yes. And is that within the margin of error of getting it wrong? Yeah, just a rounding error, you could have it wrong. So what does this mean when we compare SARS-CoV-1 and SARS-CoV-2? We can't compare them because they're different diseases, but we have no f- for, for a fact that SARS-CoV-2 has a, l- a less lethal mortality rate because more people get it, and, the, and yet those people that get it, m- many more of them don't have serious symptoms. Is that good or bad?
0: Well, I think it's good for the general population. It's great for the general population. Going, you pretty much you need to assume that a large percentage of us are going to be infected, but a large percentage of us are also okay.
1: Yeah. If you get this disease, what's the chances of you getting really sick? Let's look at a statistic, okay? All right. Let's look at what happened in China. We're gonna look at resource five. Why is it important to look at China?
0: Because as they've already gone through it.
1: They just had it, right? Okay. Here's what it says the elderly are most are most at risk. Early data suggests that older people are, the, the more dangerous the virus is to them. Fatality rates in mainland China were higher among older patients. Is that still true from what we can tell? Yes. Does that mean that younger people can't get the disease? No. No, but the fatality rates it's were much higher. Okay. it's Fatality rate by age. From age zero to nine, how many people died? Zero. This is in China who just went through this. 10 to 19, 0.2% of the people died who were 10 to 19. 20 to 29%. I'm sorry, 20 to 29 years old, 0.2 of those people died. Uh-huh. 30 to 39, 0.2%. 40 to 49, 0.4%. Okay. 50 to 59, 1.3%. So of the people that got it, only 1.3% or less from ages 60 and below. Uh-huh. That's pretty good. That also means, though, that people that are set 60 and above start to have an increasing odds, right? What else is true about people that are get older? Do they have, they have more health issues? They have more comorbidities, right? Mm-hmm. Things like cardiovascular disease, diabetes, things that affects their health. From age 60 to 69, 3.6% of the people that got the disease died. From ages 70 to 79, 8% of the people that got the disease died. Let's talk about that 8% number. Compared to the SARS-CoV-1 number of 11%. Did we shut down the economy over SARS-CoV-1? No.
0: Did so, we isolate? Uh, Did anybody didn't even know, know about it? No. We
1: basically watched people on, in China wearing masks and saying, why the hell are they wearing masks? Mm-hmm. That's what I remember myself doing. This 8% is still less than the 11%, the 10.88% of SARS-CoV-1. 80 plus years old, the chances of you dying are 14.8%. Okay? Slightly above What happened with SARS-CoV-1? We've shut the entire economy down and put people in isolation to save the 70 through 80 years old. Yeah. Is that worth it? They're human beings and they deserve to be saved, of course.
0: Our our moms are in that age group.
1: All our senators many of our senators are in that age group, many of our our presidents in that age group, right? People that are leaders of this country are in that age group. So we're not going to sit there and debate whether or not it makes sense to save a small portion of the population that's elderly. We're going to say, yes, we we need to save anybody at any age, right? Because we care about people. But the point of the matter is, if you're 40 to 49 years old, what's your chances of dying based on this data? 0.4%. That doesn't mean you want to spread the disease to other people. But you need to stop worrying about the fact you're going to die. Do you have a higher chance of dying in a car accident? Yeah. Do you have a higher chance of dying from some other disease like the flu? Mm-hmm. Flu is 0.1%, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, four times more greater chance with this one. Well, not by age group. Not by age group, though. That's exactly right. Thank you. So, what do we, what do, we do with this information? We stop worrying about things. If you're 70 and above, you still have almost the same mortality rate issue that you have with influenza,
0: right?
1: Mm-hmm. It's eight, eight times higher, right? But it's still a big deal. So, do you have to protect yourself from, the, from these yeah. things? Of course, you do. If you're someone who has pre existing conditions or you have something that had your immunity system down, do you need to protect yourself? Absolutely. Do we as other citizens need to protect those people from that? Yes. Of course. Okay. Let's look at this thing called the worldometer. I like this worldometer thing because...
0: I like the name.
1: It basically gives us up-to-the-date statistics of what we're trying to accomplish here. We're going to look at the old worldometer. We're almost done with our podcast here, but I want to make sure that we really cover this to get a sense of how this goes. Okay, (coughs) this is up-to-date as of 2145 gross sometime, that's around our time. <laughs> I never did get those whole global mean times and things like that. So hey, you're
0: in the military. You I know, know this. it's
1: not the same thing. There are right now 375,000 coronavirus cases. There are 16,000 deaths. Let's do the math. I'll do it online because I'm not good at this. 16,000 is what percent? of 375,000. I actually am good at math, but I'm just going to do it for you guys anyway. Do
0: you want me to use my calculator?
1: Sure, you want to. What are you doing?
0: What do you want me to divide?
1: Hang on, I got it right here. 16,000 is what percent of 375,000? 0.04.
0: 0.043
1: if you want. It's 4.26. That's the same thing you were saying, 0.04. Basically, 4.25% death rate. That's what we have. Now, do we believe that that's an artificially inflated number?
0: Well, yeah, according to the testing criteria. Because the testing criteria
1: is soft. What is the testing criteria? Why does it matter?
0: We're only testing people that went to China and are sick. Correct. And possibly I'm independent for, later. Thank
1: you for that. Okay. Now, let's look in the United States. Ready? We're going to just pop into the United States. View by country. Well, they're not done by alphabetical. Here we go. There are 42,000 total cases. There are 522 deaths. So, 522 is what percent of 42,000? What was the number? 522 is what percent of 42,000? I would have done this before you guys. Go ahead. What does it say?
0: Uh, 1.2. So. If you round, it's still 1.2.
1: Okay. Very good. I'm going to just grab this number. I'm going to give the exact number for us, just to be exact, because I like to be exact.
0: 1.24.
1: I'm going to grab it right here, copy, 522, hang on, I'm going to get this to the exact, exact number, okay. Yeah, I made a boo. I made a boo boo. I'm an athlete. I know. I can do it. I just want to make sure <coughs> I have the exact numbers. I'm
0: ready to buzz you. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you should buzz me. Buzz me. Delete. Now oh, we got it. Athlete. One point two two percent. One point two two percent is the actual death rate in the United States. Okay. Is that how many times more is that than the influenza death rate? Roughly ten 1. times, 1. maybe eleven 1. times more. So, what, what do we get out of this worldometer thing? All it's only as good as the data it's given, right? So, if we're only testing people that are sick, how do I know that we're only testing people that are sick?
0: Because well, the guidelines say.
1: Who can well, then be I also testing. looked at Arizona. Are we taking? Are we besides? Te- there's two problems. We're only testing the people that are sick. Second problem, independent of testing people that are sick, is we're only testing a very small a very small sample size. In Arizona, we only tested 352 people. There's 7 million people. Mm-hmm. So is this data skewed? Yes. Because the sample size is too small. Yes. The sample size is so small that it wouldn't even fall into the margin of error. If you were a sti- statistics professor, you would beat me about the head and neck with this paper saying, your sample size is too small, dummy. Sample size is too small, you can't draw that conclusion from it. And yet we're going to do things like decide if we shut the state down or not based on, those, based on that data. I'm not saying we should or shouldn't because that could be part of the mitigation strategy. But at least don't tell the public that, de- that the death rate is 3% when in reality we don't know what the death rate is. Because in reality we, we know that it is overly inflated. We do know that for a fact because we know that we're only testing people that are sick and we're only testing 0.01% of the population. That's an order of how many, how many orders of magnitude, 0.01? Two orders of magnitude, right? Mm-hmm. Which means it could be 100 times different, which means it could be 100 times greater, which we highly doubt because we know we're not, we're only, or it could be 100 times smaller, right? Mm-hmm. If it was 100 times smaller, what would it be? 0.01, right? Mm-hmm. So it could be the same as influenza, or it could actually be, be 10 times less. Do we shut down this entire planet because of influenza? No. But there's a there's also a vaccine for influenza. At mm-hmm. least it's moderately effective. When do we plan on having our vaccine for COVID nineteen?
0: Realistically, probably it's going to be a year and a half.
1: Twenty twenty one, right? So does that even help us? The, the, the disease will probably have already disappeared and gone out. Yeah. Like the way SARS one did. Did we ever develop a, disease, a vaccine no, but for SARS one? It went
0: SARS-1? away, and we, we stopped thinking about Why it. Why are
1: we even trying to develop a, a, a vaccine for SARS cov two?
0: Oh, because it's going to be... The thing that doesn't it will make mutate sense me, by the time... It, 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 like I was just going to say It's going to be something different, which means the effective rate of the vaccine is going to be much, much smaller. And by the time we get a vaccine that's up and ready to be deployed, it's more than likely going to have petered out by then. Or right. we'll be on to a new one, no, which it, then it will we'll have be mutated. chasing
1: it. Already, there already was two forms of this disease. There was a form that affected the people in Wuhan and then what we see now is there was a second form that tended, to, that first form didn't affect the people that were outside of the country. So it's already mutated once in the short time that it's made the jump from whatever it was, bat gnu or whatever the hell it is. They, we believe it's a bat to a human. So that, that's what zoonic means, by the way, for people who are like all who love to use the word zoonic. I hate using the word because all it means is it can be transmitted from one species to another. That's what zoonic means. So there we said it and we, we got that over with. Last thing I want to go into is a summary, um, and then I'm going to go to point number two, which is about puppies. Love puppies, so we're going to much talk about more puppies. Fun thing to talk about. Is this last resource is from a doctor of epidemiology who has a couple things to say. I'm going to read his opinion paper. This came out a couple days ago. This is resource 68, and hopefully, it, it pretty much sums up what it is that we were attempting to do. Uh, I'm not seeing it though sixty eight. Here it is. Sorry guys. Okay. Okay. This is called a fiasco in the making by Doctor John Io Ion. Io, I gotta say it right. Ion Ionitis i I want to go to the bottom and tell you who he is. So it's just so you get a sense of who he is. Dr. Ioannidis, I apologize for butchering your name. is a professor of medicine and professor of epidemiology and population health, as well as professor of courtesy by courtesy of biomedical data science at Stanford, at little-known school of Stanford University School of Medicine. (laughs) Professor by statistics of Stanford University um so he's a stanford guy i assume that we can probably take his word for it since he's been doing this a very long time this is his letter to the editor i want to read it in in full because it pretty much says exactly it's not that long um what i've been trying to say and i found this yesterday it was written on march 17th and it made me so happy to see that someone agreed with me or i agreed with him he's the expert a fiasco in the making as the coronavirus pandemic takes hold we are making decisions without reliable data Dr. Ioannidis, the current coronavirus disease, COVID-19, has been called a -a once-in-a-century pandemic, but it may also be a -a once-in-a-century evidence fiasco. At a time when everyone needs better information from disease modelers and governments to people quarantined or just social distancing, we we lack reliable evidence on how many people have been infected with SARS-CoV-2 or who continue to become infected. Better information is needed to guide decisions and actions of monumental significance and to monitor their impact. Draconian countermeasures have been adopted in many countries. If the pandemic dissipates, either on its own or because of these measures, short-term extreme social distancing and lockdowns may be bearable. How long, though, should measures like this be continued if the pandemic churns across the globe unabated? How can policymakers tell if they are doing more good than harm? Vaccines or affordable treatments take many months or even years to develop and test properly. Given such timelines, the consequences of long-term lockdowns are entirely unknown the data collected so far on how many people are infected and how the ep- the data collected so far on how many people are infected and how the epidemic is evolving are utterly unreliable given the limited testing to date some deaths and probably the vast majority of infections due to SARS-CoV-2 are being missed we don't know if we are failing to capture infections by a factor of 3 or 300 3 months after the outbreak emerged most countries including the, including the US Lack the ability to test a large number of people, and no countries have reliable data on the prevalence of the virus in a representative random sample of the general population. I love this guy, man. I'm going to buy him lunch. The You're
0: evidence, distancing. huh? You're distancing. You can't
1: buy it. I so. know. This is my, you know, this is my man crush or my professor crush. This guy is, is got it down. The evidence fiasco creates tremendous uncertainty about the risk of dying from COVID-19. Reported case fatality rates, like the official 3.4% rate from the WHO, (laughs) cause horror and are meaningless. Patients who have been tested for SARS-CoV-2 are disproportionately those with severe symptoms and bad outcomes. As most health systems have limited testing capacity, selection bias may even worsen in the near future. The one situation where an entire closed population was tested was the Diamond Princess cruise ship and its quarantine passengers. The case fatality rate there was one point was one point zero percent, but this was a largely elderly population, in which the death rate from COVID nineteen is much higher.
0: Well, it was also a, uh, they were all right next to each other. Yeah, of course. So they're they had instances transmits very easily. They were it was, and they didn't know that they had no, it. No, they were all right next to each other. They didn't
1: take any precautions. There was no social distancing on no. the cruise ship. Ever been on a cruise ship? It's Sox. the opposite of social distancing. I hate them. Projecting the Diamond Princess mortality rate onto the age structure of the U.S. population, the death rate among people infected with COVID-19 would be 0.125%. I'm going to read that again. If we project the Diamond Princess mortality rate onto the age structure of the U.S. population, the death rate among people infected with COVID-19 would be 0.125%, the same as influenza.
0: Is that when he says onto the... um Population, does that mean across the entire population? Yes, if you
1: took the death rate and you statistically corrected for the size of the population, the age of the general population, you would get a death rate of 0.125%. But since this estimate is based on extremely thin data, there were just seven deaths among the 700 infected passengers and crew, the real death rate could stretch from five times lower, 0.25%, to five times higher, 0.625%. I'm still under 1%, guys. It is also possible that some of the passengers who are infected might die later and that tourists may have different frequency of chronic diseases, a risk factor for worse outcomes with SARS-CoV-2 infection than the general population. Adding these extra sources of uncertainty, reasonable estimates for the case fatality ratio in the general U.S. population vary from 0.05 to 1%. Okay, This is a professor of statistics and epidemiology telling you that if we do we using the best possible modeling and looking at, at at least one stable source of data, which while thin and small is at least a stable source of data, that the re- reasonable estimate for case fatality ratio in the general US population vary from 0.5 to 1%, not 3.4. That huge range, I'm reading from him again, that huge range markedly affects how severe the pandemic is and what should be done. A population-wide population wide case fatality rate of 0.5 percent is lower than seasonal influenza. If that is the true rate, locking down the world with potentially tremendous social and financial consequences may be totally irrational. It is like an elephant being attacked by a house cat. Frustrated and trying to avoid the cat, the elephant accidentally jumps off a cliff and dies. Could the COVID-19 case fatality rate be that low? No, some say, pointing to the high rate in elderly people. However, even some so-called mild or common cold-type coronaviruses that have been known for decades can have case fatality rates as high as 8% when they infect elderly people in nursing homes. In fact, such mild coronaviruses infect tens of millions of people each year and account for 3-11% to of those hospitalized in the U.S. with lower respiratory infections each winter. These mild current this is emphasis added these mild coronaviruses may be implicated in several thousands of deaths every year worldwide, though the vast majority of them are not documented with precise testing. instead, they are lost among, as noise among 60 million deaths from various causes every year. Although successful surveillance systems have long existed for influenza, the disease is confirmed by a laboratory in a tiny minority of cases in the US. For- <coughs> For example, so far this season 1,073,976 specimens have been tested and 222,000, 20%, have tested positive for influenza. In the same period, the estimated number of influenza-like illnesses is between 36 million and 51 million with an estimated 22,000 to 55,000 flu deaths. Note the uncertainty about influenza-like illnesses, a 2.5-fold range, corresponding to tens of thousands of deaths. Every year, some of these deaths are due to influenza and some to other viruses, like common cold coronaviruses. In an autopsy series that tested for respiratory viruses and specimens from 57 elderly persons who died during the 2016 to 2017 influenza season, Influenza viruses were detected in 18% of the specimens, while any kind of respiratory virus was found in 47%. In some people who die from viral respiratory pathogens, more than one virus is found upon autopsy, and bacteria are often superimposed. A positive test for coronavirus does not mean necessarily that this virus is always pr- primarily responsible for a patient's demise. What that's saying is, is that you could have pneumonia, you could have... Uh, Uh, some other virus at the same time you have coronavirus and it's the other virus that killed you. So it makes it difficult to point to the fact when you have different species of virus in you at the same time, which one killed you? Excuse me. I'm going to still read from this because this is exactly how I wanted to end this segment. If we assume that case fatality rate among individuals infected by SARS-CoV-2 is 0.3% in the general population, a mid-range guess from my Diamond Princess Princess analysis, and that 1% of the population gets infected, which is about 3.3 million people, this would translate to about 10,000 deaths. This sounds like a huge number, but is buried within the noise of the estimate of deaths from influenza-like illness. If we had not known about a new virus out there and had not checked individuals with PCR tests, the number of total deaths due to influenza-like illness would not seem unusual this year. At most, we might have casually noted that flu this season seems to be a bit worse than average. The media coverage would have been less than for an NBA game between the two most indifferent teams. Some worry about the, that the 68 deaths from the COVID-19 in the in the U.S. as of March 16th will increase exponentially to 680, 600 6,800, 68,000, or 680,000, along with similar catastrophic patterns around the globe. Is that a realistic scenario or bad science fiction? How can we tell at what point such a curve might stop? The most valuable piece of information for answering those questions would be to know the current prevalence of the infection in a random sample of the population and to repeat this exercise at regular time intervals to estimate the incidence of new infections. Sadly, that's information we don't have. In the absence of data, prepare for the the worst reasoning leads to extreme measures of social, social distancing and lockdowns. Let me read that again. In the absence of data prepare for the worst reasoning leads to the extreme measures of social distancing and lockdowns unfortunately we do not know if these measures work school closures for example may reduce transmission rates but they may also backfire if children socialize anyhow if school closure leads children to spend more time with success, susceptible elderly family members if children at home disrupt their parents ability to work and more School closures may also diminish the chances of developing herd immunity in an age group that is spared serious disease. This has been the perspective behind the different stance of the United Kingdom, keeping schools open, at least until I write this. In the absence of data on the real course of the epidemic, we don't know whether this perspective was brilliant or catastrophic. Flattening the curve to avoid overwhelming the health system is conceptually sound, in theory. A visual that this has become viral in the media and social media shows how flattening the curve reduces the volume of the epidemic that is above the threshold of what the healthcare system can handle at any moment. Yet, if the health system does does become overwhelmed, the majority of the extra deaths may not be due to coronavirus, but to other common diseases and conditions such as heart attack, strokes, trauma, bleeding, and the like that are not adequately treated. If the level of the epidemic does overwhelm the health system and extreme measures have only have modest effectiveness, then flattening the curve may make things worse. Instead of being overwhelmed during a short acute phase, the health system will remain overwhelmed for a more protracted period. That's another reason we need data about the exact level of the, epi- of the epidemic activity. One of the bottom lines is we don't know how long social distancing measures and lockdowns can be maintained without major consequences to the economy, society, and mental health. Unpredictable evolutions may ensue, including financial crisis, unrest, civil strife, war, and the meltdown of the social fabric. At a minimum, we need unbiased prevalence and incidence data for the evolving infection's load to guide decision-making. In the most pessimistic scenario, which I do not espouse, if the new coronavirus infects 60% of the global population and 1% of the infected people die, this will translate into a more than 40 million deaths globally matching the 1918 influenza pandemic. The, the vast majority of this hecatomb would be people with limited life expectancies. That's in contrast to 1918 when, where many young people died. One can only hope that much like 1918, life will continue. Conversely, with the lockdowns of months, if not years, life largely stops, short-term and long-term consequences are entirely unknown, and billions, not just millions, of lives may be eventually at stake. If we decide to jump off the cliff, we need some data to inform us about the rationale of such an action and the chances of landing somewhere safe. Again, that's Dr. John P. A. Ionitis, is the professor of medicine and professor of epidemiology and population health, at Stanford University. Where
0: I, was this? That You said it was a letter to the editor. What paper was this in?
1: This was sent to... I'll have to look that up for us. I believe it was the New England Journal of Medicine.
0: It was, it, it, I think the letter is brilliant, and I think he's brilliant. The problem that you have is how many... This is not making it into the mainstream. That's why media. I'm
1: reading it word for word. I have been trying to say this exact thing again. I, am I getting this data from him? Of course, some of it's coming from him, but some of it's my own analysis and analysis of others. If we look at this data, exactly what he's saying is the issue. We don't have representative samples of who has this disease, and yet we're making policy decisions. Does social distancing work? Uh, we don't know that for sure. Oh, but but this but the idea is is that if we if we're flattening the curve, we're making the disease last longer in this country. When Do we want to do that or not? Because that means we have to shelter in place for longer. Does the price that our economy is going to pay, and the price that that we're going to pay, is it going to be worth it if the same amount of people die from influenza, die from this? I'm not saying we don't want to spare lives and and, and do do what we can. But if it's truly, we're talking about 10,000 or 100,000 or 400,000 people, we don't know the difference because we don't know the rate right this second. Do these policies that we're doing of sheltering in place actually going to lead to that? Or will more people die because we've overwhelmed the system for a long, the, the hospital system for a long period of time by this people slowly catching this and many of them going to the hospital? Will we make it so other people die because they can't get the treatment needed? Well, more people will have died because they can't get the treatment they need for other conditions and we've used up all the PPE on testing people who didn't die than if we would not have done all this shelter-in-place stuff. This isn't for me to decide. This is for the experts to decide. But this is the kind of thing we need to keep in mind is that this artificial in the inflated WHO death rate of 3.42% is, is incorrect because they, and they know it too, is the sample size we know is taken, is way too small to even be statistically correct. Statistically significant is what you want. When we look at these symptoms, we're only testing people that are ill. So therefore, we're going to have a, a weighted and we're going to have a bias selection bias on how we do our sampling to the point where we artificially inflate the death rate, which is why we make these decisions about locking down entire cities, entire countries like they do in Belgium. Would we flatten the curve? Possibly. But what happens if we didn't flatten the curve? Are we going to have the same amount of deaths because we've overinflated the death rate? Does it matter?
0: And we tank the economy.
1: These are the things we need to talk about. Well,
0: it's one of the things, like, I don't know, if your mom did this, but when... I was little, and if your older sibling got the measles, yeah, party. Everybody went into the same room because they wanted to just get it over with.
1: That's right. They did things with measles that were highly infectable. Measles are super infective. I'm not saying we should do that. I'm not saying we should take all the old people and see who's going to die. No, That's not what I we're saying. So but we're talking about trillions of dollars and the fact that other health-related. Disease, diseases and other health crises are still evolving. The opioid crisis didn't go away because COVID-19 showed its face.
0: No, I think it's actually going to get worse because people, people are hell
1: so- doing it. People who need medical care that aren't related to COVID-19, now they can't, they can't get the proper protection because providers don't have PPE. There's people that are immunocompromised that can't be exposed to things like this. But if, if a nurse walks in with a bandana and she was just talking to a sars cov patient who didn't die and isn't going to die and now talks to someone who's immunocompromised, and those people, now they can die from this. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm saying. is these, these policy decisions need to be based on reality. What, what Professor Ioannidis is basically saying is what I'm trying to say at the same time is that if we think the death rate truly is even 1%, that's not going to. That's going to blend into like what what our normal death rate is for the for the flu. Uh-huh. And in fact, as he's saying, is in many cases we don't test to see what that whether the flu was actually influenza or some other other coronavirus. So we, we could already be losing these people on a normal year, and this year we've just because we've politicized it and we've made it into the story of the of the day. You can't look at the news without this. We're actually making trillion dollar decisions. From a money standpoint, we're also making decisions from for, for being able to, to help existing health crises, people who have immunocompromised, people who need urgent care, people who are either have chronic diseases, acute diseases. We can't, we've overwhelmed the, the system on testing people for many of these people who aren't going to die at the expense of people who might actually die from something else. That's what we need to get a handle on. But one thing I want to hopefully get people to take away is stop worrying and, and, and being in total fear that you're going to die. If you're 70 years older or older, your chances of death, based on what the data is showing right now and the sampling error, is about the same as the flu. Okay? Does anyone here curl up into a ball because of the flu? Maybe they should, maybe they should, but they don't. So we've got to stop making this look like it's so much higher than it is because we can sh- look at the data and know that we're artificially inflating it. Let's say it's twice the size of the flu. Does that, does that make us all want to sit and hunker down and do these things? Do we still all go through the drive-thru? Does that help anybody? These, these kind of policy seasons are ridiculous. Okay, time for a very quick commercial break, and the commercial break is going to be this. We're going to talk about the Steri stamp device, uh, Chris, you want to just hold up the camera? Um, again, we're going to be uh, selling this. You know, what you're able to do with this is patients will sell it to you, the clinician, and you're going to sell it to your patients. You're going to fill the the uh, syringe and cap it, and then you're going to send that home with them, and and then- or you can mail it to them, or they can come pick it up, where you don't have to touch them or even see them. And then you can stamp, they can stamp themselves, and it's sort of like a mini microneedling treatment. It needs to go to point 0.3, so this is an exfoliation type of thing. Um, the proceeds that we're going to go to this are going to go to help people get more PPE. The, also, we've talked about our online courses. I'm also going to take the proceeds from that and put that towards buying PPE for our fellow clinicians. So, uh, this isn't about us making money, this is about helping out our fellow clinician. Uh, the other thing I want to bring up real quickly is puppies and kitties and horses and lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Um, there's been a question sent to me is does SARS-CoV-2 infect pets and can pets transmit SARS-CoV-2 okay let's look at that I have a resource for that I am not an expert on animals in infectious disease
0: he's an expert in being a puppy daddy though. yes
1: I do I do love my pups Bandit Lucy and Loki I'm also on the board of the New, Life oh, sorry. Leash. New Leash on Life charity and um there's been a crisis right now going on with animal shelters are being shut down by staffing so there's there's a real real concern that these animals need to be able to be placed or they risk uh, euthanasia or so, people are bringing their or animals or people are, are just no longer bringing they can't they're not accepting new animals so they're just leaving them in the desert Or they so, think
0: that their animals are going to infect them yes, and so they're taking them to yes i've the seen shelter. a lot of that
1: that the people think that their animals are going to give them the uh, sars cov 2 so that they're leaving them at a shelter or abandoning them in the desert. We're gonna talk about how that's not the case, Um, but the important thing is is that there's a charity out there that I'm a board board member on. It's run by Lynn Frost. It's called uh, New Leash on Life Charity. It's based out of Gilbert. She does wonderful work with animals that need it the most. We tend to rescue animals that need uh, medical care. Uh, These animals usually have been abused. Um, We spend the money to get them rehabilitated with need surgery, they need training, all the things. Then we try to rehome them. Um, So these animals can cost anywhere from a minimum of $300 all the way up to we spend as much as $6,000 on one animal, maybe more than that. Um, The reason why we take animals that no one else will take in many cases. So I would say that uh, um, another thing to consider is if you wouldn't mind sponsoring one of these animals, um, you can just uh, we'll we'll do one of those sort of like, uh,
0: like when you sponsor a kid from another country. Yeah, yeah.
1: we'll we'll send you updates from that animal. We'll talk, talk about pictures. You can help name the animal if you like. Uh, if any of you want wish to foster an animal, that'd be if great. If you're in the Arizona area, in the, Arizona the Phoenix area, area, we can do that. Um, if you want to donate food or anything like that, we would love to have all these things. This is a five hundred one c three registered charity. Okay, so you're you have to check with your tax advisors, but most likely your donations will be tax deductible. Um, because this is a registered charity. It's not a private charity. We're basically doing everything in our power to make sure we save as many animals as possible. All the work done by myself and the, by Lynn is all being done on a volunteer basis. None, neither of us are getting paid. Now, um, one of the
0: things that's important to know and one of the reasons we're asking is, so my company, Aesthetic Education, which is the manufacturer of Skin Stylus, um, we donate a portion of our sales every single month whether it's a patient that I work on, a training that I do, a device I sell, a consumable I sell uh, my tips everything because I don't take tips everything goes in to one pot and then I take a portion of that every single month and I donate it to this charity because I think our dogs are our our babies and and I want to you know these dogs are in trouble not because of usually their own, South, they're in trouble because of humans. And so we do tend to take some of the dogs that have been, you know, maimed or mauled or whatever. Yeah, I
1: mean, but quickly, what, one of the things that I want to bring that up while you're saying that is that a lot of these dogs have been abused by humans. Yeah, um, We have people have taken hammers to dogs, um, used them as bait dogs for fighting rings. Um, a lot of times it's very difficult to get people <laughs> to take and do anything with these dogs. Uh, Lynn has done a, just a remarkable job of patiently fostering these dogs back to health, getting the right veterinary care where they need it, and getting these dogs so they're adoptable and have a, and have a chance at, a, at somewhat of a happy life. So again, these aren't, you know, we'll take dogs that are, have any story, but we tend to uh, be the, the rescue that takes the dogs that no one else takes. Yeah. Go ahead.
0: So with our office shutting down with Bun, I'm not seeing patients right now, but two, any of our sales have completely... Yeah, we don't have any sales. We don't now. have any sales right now, <laughs> uh, because offices that we sell to are closed. Sure. Um, it means that the money that I would normally donate isn't there. Um, so we ask for money from people all the time, but at this time it's like totally crucial. And if you are one of my friends on my Facebook page, and and you know, and, and you loved my limoncello, that's great. I got so many more comments on my limoncello that I made this year. Than I did on the dogs that I'm posting. So the things that we need, any amount will help. Whether it's five dollars, whether it's fifty, three hundred, any higher than that, um, any amount of money will help. All of yeah. this money goes to these animals. Five hundred one
1: C three charity, and we will give you a receipt for your donation as well. Unlike a GoFundMe page, where who knows where that money really goes, this is an actual registered charity where we have a an account, a certified accountant, uh, making sure the money's handled correctly, and all of us are do- are. Are, um, volunteers so nobody's taking a paycheck here
0: no so we really truly need your help and um, if you guys are watching this in the lower thirds it'll have the name of uh, the yeah, email new
1: leash charity at gmail.com yeah
0: so new leash like it's new leash on life charity at gmail.com is the email for it um, but the puppies need all of our help and like i said We've there's been a shortage of dog food that we're trying to get through a shortage of bleach, which is what we need to clean people's homes that have these puppies and their bedding. Um,
1: we need fosters. Too. We need fosters. Well, just, if Lynn just yesterday saved two dogs from one of the facilities, and these two dogs are going to need a need some sort of fostering. They're very cute puppies. Yeah, if you yeah. contact Lynn at newleashcharity.org, uh, I'm sorry, newleashcharity at gmail.com. She can give you a list of the animals that we currently need to have either fostered or adopted. And you can also talk about what sort of, you know, if you're able to donate any money or supplies or or anything that would be helpful for these animals. Remember, these animals are going through crisis now more than ever because most of the shelters are being shut down because of this SARS-CoV-2. So the the staffing isn't there. They're being fed every other day type of a thing. Basic subsistence and and, uh, you know, if you've ever been to one of a, a shelter, um, it's uh sort of the county shelters and things like that. Everyone's doing the best they can. But with limited resources and limited manpower, there's animals that are suffering. And we want to put an end to that as much as we can. So I'm doing everything in my power. I'm donating money in my time. Chris is donating her money. We've donated hundreds of thousands of dollars to this charity in just one year alone. And we want to continue to do that. Uh, now that we're not really having any income coming in for ourselves, which is fine. I'm not complaining about that. What I do care about is that these animals get supported. So I'd like it very much if folks who are, you know, considering, if you take one of my courses, I'm going to take that money and I'm going to donate it to charity, okay? So please, um, I have all the different courses. <coughs> let, me, let me run those down again. You'll get a certificate. I'll be helping animals. RF Aesthetic Technology, uh, $1.99 with the with the uh, Corona Coupon. The health, health professional, health professional, twenty four hours, six forty nine, the forty hours, six forty nine, intradermic microneedling, one hundred sixty dollars, and these
0: are the coupon prices.
1: Yeah, the master microneedling, three eighty nine, the chem peel, online chem peel, one ninety nine. Again, every uh, for all these classes, any money you send, the entire amount is going to go to the animal rescue right now. I'm also taking. Donations of PPE. Um, I, if you, I'm still having a hard time finding people who will take that. But uh, what I'm going to do is just, I'm going to reach out to to Banner. I've reached out to the press. Haven't heard back from them yet. Oh, also, MiHS. MiH, yeah, that's another thing. Uh, we're integrated. We're doing health everything in our power to get our, help our fellow clinicians get get enough PPE. Uh, going on with the fact that the government just dropped the ball completely on this. It's it's absolutely criminal that that a, a doctor would have to put on some sort of uh, kerchief bandana to see a patient. It's absolutely ridiculous. So, again, if you're a dentist, uh, clinician who's doing aesthetic procedures, elective procedures, please strongly consider donating some of your gear uh, or your PPE and consider possibly not doing these procedures if it's using up PPE and donate that because this is where the crisis is going to be. This is where it's going to happen. It's going to be the hospitals. We must keep our hospitals and our, and our hospital workers from, um, from collapsing. And if that happens, we're all in a lot of trouble. So again, um, I want to just very quickly talk about um, whether or not your pets can, can give you or transmit the COVID-2, okay? This came from the uh, American Medical Veterinarians Association. Okay, good, I got it right. Basically says health officials across the world are on high alert due to COVID nineteen. I'm gonna to get to the point where it makes sense here. On Thursday, they had one dog in China who tested positive, but they didn't they couldn't tell if that was right or not. They couldn't tell if the testing was flawed or whatnot. Although there have not been reports of pets becoming sick with COVID-19, and an abundance of caution is recommended that those ill with COVID-19 limit contact with animals until more information is known about the virus. If you are ill with COVID-19, be sure to tell your physician and public health official that you have a pet or other animal in your home. Have another member of your household take care of walking, feeding, and playing with your pet. If you have a service animal you must care for your pet, then wear a face mask, don't share food, kiss, or hug them, and wash your hands before and after any contact. This is if if you're symptomatic, okay? For responsible pet pet owners, preparing advance is key. Make sure you have an emergency kit prepared with at least two weeks worth of your pet's food and any needed medications. Usually we think about emergency kits like this in terms of what might be needed for an evacuation, but it's also good to have one prepared in case of quarantine. I think it's probably a little bit late for that. I right you know, It's really difficult to get supplies, but if you can, think about that your pet needs supplies just like you do. And pets don't use toilet paper, so maybe it's more important than But we're let's
0: gonna... not hoard the dog food because our rescue also needs we get having a hard time getting it for our rescue yeah. dogs and our two fosters. Two weeks is
1: enough. And how much does your dog eat in two weeks? It doesn't eat five bags, okay? Um keeping veterinary teams healthy. We the, the, These people need PPE as well. So, um, again, they have not shown except for one case, and that one case was in Hong Kong, and they still don't know if that's a false false positive. It was a 17-year-old Pomeranian. Um, they don't know if the animals can, if a domestic pet can actually transmit this disease. So, um What they believe, though, is is that you you want to make sure that your pet has the same care that you do, that you're thinking about your pet supplies as much as you're thinking about your toilet paper. So, uh, again, uh, end of the podcast. We appreciate everybody uh, playing along um, at Camp uh, Coronavirus and uh, Club Quarantine. Um, I've had a good time. Um, I'm a little under the weather right now, so um, tomorrow I'm not going to do a podcast, but I will be back the day after, so... You're gonna see me on day six, not day five.
0: Yeah, good time to catch up on the other ones.
1: I need to catch up a little bit, get a little extra sleep. Um, okay, everybody's fine here, um, but we're gonna just take one day off and we'll be back on day six. And when we get back, we're gonna be talking about possible treatments for SARS-CoV-2. Question mark? Help from for small biz for your fr- friendly federal government. What, what's going on with that? And we're gonna talk about flu versus COVID versus a cold. Okay. So that's what's going on with the next podcast. That'll be not tomorrow, but the day after.
0: Now, one last thing. Um, if you like what we're doing, we would love your review. Um, and on, you can on go iTunes. At, yeah, you can yeah. go to Apple iTunes. That's where the majority of our podcast uh, viewers or listeners are
1: coming from. So <coughs> you can also We'd love leave, to a, you can leave us a message on Facebook. Uh, I do post these. Remember, the videos lag behind the podcast a little bit because our wonderful be editor, Kyle, needs to uh, take the time to edit these, put these graphics up so you can see everything. Um, if anybody has any questions or things they want me to talk about, please send me a message. I'd be happy to do it. I hope this stuff has been informative. I know in some cases I've been very, very uh, passionate about sharing this information. But I really want to get reinforce the fact that this artificially inflated death rate is not the true death rate. And we have brilliant minds like doctor uh, doctors out of you know stanford university saying look um you know making decisions on bad information is just bad policy
0: well you're going to make bad decisions if you've got bad information
1: so uh thanks again for for listening and watching and we will see you campers next time and don't
0: forget new leash charity at
1: gmail.com awesome thank you send your ppe to your friends all right thanks Thanks. bye-bye Thanks for listening to the Evidence-Based Aesthetics Podcast with your hosts, Kristen and Dr. Larry Group. For more discussion and information on all things aesthetic, be sure to join our Facebook group and follow us on our Instagram page. We look forward to sharing the next exciting episode of the Evidence-Based Aesthetics Podcast.